welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. Uh, tonight, we're not going to really get into a Nine Inch Nails record. We're breaking format. Breaking format. We have no choice. This is what happens when Trent broke up the band. Uh, yeah, this was uh, after the whole Wave Goodbye Ninja Tour. So uh, Trent decided to go ahead and start writing some uh, some film scores. So we're going to talk about those. Or actually, that one that he won the Oscar for. Um, so if you've never listened to this podcast before and you're jumping in because you think this could be a potential movie pod, uh, well, we're going to... a little of that. I got a little bit of that going on tonight. This is not going to replace film spotting. No. No. Uh, that'll be our season two where we go through Quentin Tarantino's films. Yes. Okay. I'm kidding. Oh, no, That's okay. not going to happen. <laughs> we all, you know we could do it. There's no... Listen... In the past, there were some song lyrics that were uncomfortable to talk about. There's no way we could watch all his movies and even talk about them. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, we're going to talk about uh, The Social Network, uh, the film from 2010. Uh, or was it 2009? I want to say it was 2009, and maybe the score came out in 2010. I think that's it. Okay. It's iffy, but yes. It's iffy. We're we're in that ballpark. So this is Mark Branstead. Researched, as always. Uh, yeah, we are <laughs> ready to go. We've got our fact yeah. checker, Karen, uh, sitting here. We've got um, our team of Winkle Vosses ready to chime in. Winkle Vi. Winkle Vi. That's, uh, that's the plural version. So uh, this is Mark Branstead, host, co-creator. All around Nine Inch Nails fan, and uh, I don't know. And with me, as always, I've got uh, Eric Anderson. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having okay. me back, Mark. <laughs> First time, long time. Yeah. And then we've got Steve Chambers, the Marlins and the Trout. The Marlins and the Trout. Um, that is not two baseball teams in the year 2015. <laughs> um, that is uh, a quote from. The Aaron Sorkin film, Social Network. So anyways, we're going to go ahead and talk about the score, get a little movie talk, and plus later, um, we're going to uh, insert a little conversation the three of us had with a very special guest uh, by the name of Ed Casey, who also has his own podcast in his own right, because um, that is his right. He's an American. He can do whatever he wants. He's free. State of Jefferson. State of Jefferson. Uh, we're working on that for our season three, where we just talk about uh, interstate Northern California hey. politics. We've got a five-year plan for the show. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. Their format is going to veer all over the place like a drunken man trying but, to drive home but after speaking, a happy hour. Speaking of which, you know, speaking of format, yeah, tonight we're going to break format a little bit. We're going to talk about the usual topical subjects of that year and what Trent was doing. And uh, and then, you know, we're going to have a, a discussion about the film with Ed. And then we're going to do the track by track of the soundtrack. Um, don't be worried. We don't have enough bandwidth to do this for every goddamn movie Trent Reznor has scored by now. Because the man's a little too prolific, which is hilarious if you consider he was taking five years in between albums. So tonight we're going to really dive into this one because I think it's important enough to focus on. I think it was a watershed moment that led to a lot of other work for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And uh, I think for the other movies, we're just going to combine them all into one extra long pod. Right, Mark? That is correct. Yes. We're not going to do the track by tracks and those. We'll probably just do general feelings and talk about the films. 
And I got to be honest, it is kind of fun to take a break and talk about movies too. So, yeah. Steve, there's been some Nine Inch News, hasn't there? Oh, yes, there has. So, uh, right now in the year of our Lord, 2018. The year of Trump, you mean? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, he mandated it. By the time this episode actually hits the waves, um, that presidential alert will be sent out. <laughs> you've gotten the presidential alert by now. But what you don't know is since you've gotten that presidential alert, what's happened next? And, um, well, if you're, if you're listening to this, that means that the, uh, the troops haven't made it to your doorstep yet. But anyhow, uh, we're not going <laughs> to, we're going to, all right, take a step back from the ledge. <laughs> Nine inch news. I got to say, not a lot has happened lately that's worth the, uh, mentioning besides the fact these tour, the tour started the, uh, Cole black and infinite tour. And they are, when they said they might pull out some, uh, some old hits. They weren't just talking about playing, you know, I do not want this occasionally. They have gone buck wild with some of these set list choices. Have they not, gentlemen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think the biggest one, the one we never thought would happen on the this show. Is, yeah, said, this, is, this, is, this is Nine Inch News. Yeah. I mean, they said that they, I mean, he said he hates the song. We never thought they'd play it live, but they've busted out Perfect Drug many times, like five times now on this tour. And it gets, sounds better each time. By the time you hear this, you probably would have heard it yourself because of the rate we put these things out. I think this tour will be a, on, a, on the second wave. <laughs> yeah, I just put out the Pretty Hate Machine episode a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. Oh, wait, do you mean no? Do you mean a week ago next year? Uh, I'm just making fun. The fact that like that episode, I don't know. <laughs> No, to bring up a good point, though, we almost hit our one-year anniversary. We, uh, we, we have, have yeah, it. yeah, we've hit it. It's <laughs> taken us this long to get this far, and I, I had big dreams that we'd be done with this project by the time we all saw the uh, the show in December. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah, but the 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 depth. It's better to go, yeah, you know, one inch and a mile deep than a mile wide and an inch deep. Okay. okay. No one told me there'd be math. Again, get out of here. Your wife didn't call in tonight, Eric. Um, <laughs> Damn it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but what else? Besides Perfect Drug, uh, Eric, what are some other ones they played that, you know, are just kind of unexpected? Uh, they played All Love in the World. Yeah. Which, uh, which is not never, but it's it's rare. Great, great uh, opening played, track. Well, I mean, they played, they busted out a couple stuff from Bad Witch that, you know, that's new. Um, they and, played Home. Uh, they played, oh yeah, and they played, um, like, I feel like they played Dead Souls. Yes, they played Dead Souls, they, they have. Uh, They've been doing Burn Again, which isn't that rare. And they played Broken all the way through. They did. That's there huge. you go. They That's played, huge. I mean, last and happiness and slavery for the first time since '95. They played lost a few times or last a few times and happiness and slavery, and they played broken the whole way through. I think the opening night of the tour. Steve um, tried to uh, troll us after the night that they played broken all the way through, and then they played the next night, and he tried to hit up a fake set list that just had them do uh, Pretty Hate Machine all the way through. <laughs> He's like, guys, they're going for it. If we were there, if they did that, would you be mad or would you, like, by the time they hit, like, track four, would you just, like, just go in? Just, uh, like, just, okay, this is a <laughs> yeah, one. I spent my $80 on this. Yeah. <laughs> just to hear that opening bar of I'm drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so the set lists are great. I'm sure you've looked at it. Eric said he wasn't going to look at any of the set lists until we saw them, and I think you. No, broke them. I didn't. I said like the like the month before. I'm going to stop looking at set lists. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, so that's been eventful, 
And no, apparently he's not breaking the band up, which is something that uh, people started assuming when you do these deep dive set lists. Did he actually have to come out and make a statement? On he that? made a statement along those lines somewhere. I, I, I'm not ready to show you exactly where it was and point to it, but he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, he visited you in a dream, didn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, you guys, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I actually, within like the last two weeks, had a dream that Trent Reznor was in. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't that eventful. It was more kind of a premonition of going to those. I've been thinking about those shows a lot lately, you know, that we get to go see eventually. And uh, it, was some, us, yeah. it was some kind of like weird aftershock festival type Sacramento thing. And I got to like talk to Trent Reznor for a second. And... um it's kind of embarrassing to mention that there's no, nothing more even that's as eventful as, as it was. Gotcha. I talked to him and dream about nothing. Well, not the label, nothing. Since Trent is a listener, obviously by how he's constructing these set lists. <laughs> yes. It probably will come true that he's going to say, where's my pod? Like a holer is at. Yeah. You'll see us hop comes. on that stage and play tambourine. <laughs> we each get a tambourine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And Every it'll just freeze frame on our little faces, and <laughs> that'll be the end of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just three, like, multi-spontaneous combustion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be great. Great moment. Um, so as we, it, but way back in our Year Zero episode, we coined a new, uh, a new segment. Which was, was very that. recently for them, but I think it was like three months ago now. Right. It was the, the this, is, this is always like the call-in yeah, show, Eric. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The, the, the pre-taped call-in show. The fan that feeds, uh, and there, we did get, and we we mentioned it on that episode that a a fan on Twitter, uh, Sean Galvin, Sean Galvin on Twitter uh, asked, "Well, what if you had to make a a super accessible Nine Inch Nails mix that you could play for anyone, from your grandma to at a garden party? Uh, so much so that like a song like Hurt." Um, uh, hurt would even be too abrasive. Like, uh, based a lot on the end. Yeah. So we got some feedback online today. Um, Take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So just tell me when. Okay. Um, Amber Struthers uh, obviously recommends ghosts and the instrumental parts of still. Um, previous uh, guest, Brian Strand, uh, earnestly recommends right where it belongs, but jokingly recommends the polite remix of Eraser, which would be funny, with its Renfair flutes and uh, and cursing. Uh, Jamie Walgast, uh, who who teaches at a school, um, actually was trying to think of a song she could play for her students and picked Satellite. Satellite. Uh, Yeah, and I know she does a lot of science and stuff, so maybe it's related to that. Okay. Uh, Gentlemen, anything to add to that list? So... uh, again, this was like quiet tracks that you'd play in front of your grandma. Is that what the whole Essentially, theme? Essentially, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would pick the score for the social network. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Very montage. topical. <laughs> there you go. You, ha- you, you ask us a question, we'll make it a thing. And, uh, yeah. You could probably play, you know, it's funny. One Ask, place. You could probably play a couple yeah. of songs off that new trilogy because some of them just kind of go out there and bleep loopy, but they don't really bash you in the head. I, I would um, probably do stuff from Still. Like, no, but how about uh, The Lovers? I think you could do. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But uh, speaking of which, um, I mentioned this on the Facebook, is I had to drive down to Tulare uh, this week. Just Facebook. It's cleaner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to drive down to Tulare this week and I had uh, one of my coworkers with me. Who, if you look at the organizational chart, she reports to me, but she really doesn't. I don't know why it says that. And um, 
we listened to just the trilogy and she didn't say one word about it. And then later I get a, a joking remark from my sibling who I work with that, uh, Oh, it's a good thing we don't have HR because uh, apparently you torture somebody with four hours of nine nails today. And I was like, that is unacceptable. For one thing, that album is not nearly four hours long. And another thing, I think it's a nice listening experience. It is. It is. Philistines. Philistines, exactly. Yeah. Philistines. So there you go, listeners. If you got a question like that and you want us to get into and get other listener feedback, go ahead and ask it on any of our various things that will be linked in the show notes. Speaking of the social network, literally speaking of Facebook, Mm -hmm. uh, a friend from the comic book Facebook pages that I have, uh, a Bill Z, uh, we were talking and he's like, Oh, this is your podcast. And he mentioned that he's a fan of Nine Inch Nails. I think he has like hard copies of every Halo. And apparently the guy is just a, a music head like you wouldn't believe. And Eric and I were talking about how it turns out that he's actually a huge Coil fan. And a lot of those nothing uh, artists that we did homework about and talked about, he was actually a fan of at the time. Which uh, is incredible to finally, like, right. I, I've never met a Coil fan. Get met that man a badge. <laughs> we will. Uh, so, that's, uh, thanks for reaching out, Mr. Bill Z. And maybe, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe we'll put together some bonus content speaking to someone that actually lived through those nothing artists. Uh, like the greatest were. generation. Exactly. <laughs> he was actually there, man. He was there. <laughs> All, right. Uh, All right. So, that gets us. That gets, gets us, us to uh, 2000, 2010. 2010. It was 2010. So what was, uh, what was I mean, trying up to? In I mean, we just kind of said he kind of broke up the band, hiatus. He broke up the band to get married. Yep, he got married to... Um, Mara Queen, uh, who was... Uh, Singer for West India Girl. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um, not just, you know, to do comprehensive research, she also posed in Playboy. Um mm. And gentlemen, Wait, I'm going to show you those pictures now. No. Okay. <laughs> did she pose in it, that. or did, did they? Did they? Was it one of the articles that everybody reads Playboy for? No, she posed in it. it. Okay. She did pose well, in it. She's a pretty lady. She's a pretty lady. Yeah. Um, and uh, but no, I. It was more about like who's this lady? It was around that time. I have not um, re- resurfaced the. Uh, the pictures. So, if you want to go ahead and do that, you go ahead. You go right ahead. So this is an. We're not going to his blessing to objectify. Uh, <laughs> we're not. Hey, man, our, our queen. It's an empowering. <laughs> it's empowering. She chose on her own volition. That's right. Um, so this was uh, 2010. Um, this was the first release. So instead of Nothing Records, uh, he now creates a label called uh, the Null Corporation. I think we've talked a little bit about that on a previous episode, maybe on the Ghost episode. Right. I don't know. Um. And of course, this won the original score for uh, the uh, Academy Awards. We call them the Oscars around these parts, uh, 2011 and also the 2010 Golden Globe Awards. I remember when uh, Trent and Atticus Ross took the stage in their fancy tuxedos. Um, Trent had a uh, pretty solid looking beard. He looked like, you know, he was a gentleman rather than the... uh, the scruffy, cornstarched, covered, industrial, lanky dude 
from the uh, mid-90s. He looked like a put-together individual who is now going to be a composer. You rap. sound like your father. <laughs> I sound like my father? I just mean he, he looked put-together, looked like an adult. Yeah, I know. He, looked he like, had a nice haircut. He took life seriously. And, you know, <laughs> he stopped thinking with his heart and started thinking with his head. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I, I do remember my mom, like, telling oh. me, like, Hey, uh, I saw the Academy Awards, and I gotta say that Trent Reznor, you know, he looked pretty respectable. He looked, you know, pretty, you know, yep. pretty together. Yeah, so got us, got the parent, the parent approval. That's good. So I think around this time is also when the whole project started to uh, kick around with how to destroy angels. How to destroy angels um, for the uninitiated uh, was a side project that Trent's been talking about for years prior. He really wanted to make a band that had a front uh, female singer and who better than to look to his left and ask his wife who was also in a band to be that singer um, we'll talk about how to destroy angels probably on the next episode and I'm thinking again we're going to be breaking format yeah, um, it's necessary but uh, uh, he did partially see a similar project through to through uh, to that fruition at this time with uh, his old friend Dave Rave Ogilvy had a Canadian uh, goth industrial rock project called Jackalope. And if you're not familiar with Jackalope, you may have remembered him from the America's Funniest People <laughs> episodes. Dave Coulier would do the voice. Oh, I'm over here in a park. I'm over here and I'm going over this way. Yeah. And he's got <laughs> Which actually, <laughs> listening to those episodes again might be more uh, uh, satisfying than yes. listening to Jackalope. Yes. Jack, Jackalope. Um, what exactly? He, produ- he didn't produce so, yes, Jackalope. No, he, so what happened was. Jackalope's first album. So Jackalope's been a project. Um, it's uh, Dave Ray Vogelby's done the production with a ton of guest stars, and he's always had the same um, the uh, girl. Uh, the, her name is her, her stage name is Jackalope. Wait, hold on, she's, does the guy from Lux show up on this too? Oh, could be. Check your check your stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, and and so she sings, and it's got that Canadian music thing I have where I can't really understand why it's not clicking, but it just doesn't click. Uh, Hold on. <laughs> Back up. You have a problem with Canadian music. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it, it, speaking of which, it, it does sounds have like the, you're being honest. It has the guitarist from Rush on there. Uh, well, on then I'm going to I'm gonna give it another shot. A couple tracks. Um, Trent did <laughs> drum programming. Uh, not drum He did some engineering on a couple tracks on their first album. And their second album, he co-wrote and engineered helped with engineering on the whole thing, apparently, or maybe it was just some songs, but he got blanket engineering credit on that album. So, um, I mean, the, the music itself isn't, isn't terrible. Uh, there's something about the juxtaposition of the voice and the music. That's, that's not great. She's not a bad singer. I just you know, said, I can't put my finger on it, but, um, that's Jackalope. So he was working on that. Uh, and, and that's, that's actually spread since like 2004, but the out, al- the second album came out in around 2010. Uh, further, um, there, another J band Jubilee, Aaron North's side project, um, with some members, I think it had a couple members of Queens of the Stone Age. Mm. Did that ever come out? It, they, they had a couple singles. Okay. And on one the full, song, the full release never did. Cause I, I remember waiting. No, it did not. It didn't. And they're defunct now, unfortunately. Well, yeah. I mean, we all know. I think we all know the I story know. of Aaron North. I don't. We've talked about it on here before. He suffered from mental health he issues, and struggles. he just finally had to just step away from music. Okay, okay. so that's what happened. Um, the song that Trent worked on... Oh, sorry. 
is I Don't Have an Answer, and he did the drum programming on it. It's a really cool song, and it's got Maynard from Tool on it. It's a cool song. I, I, I think I, I enjoy it, and you can definitely hear that chunky, that chunky Trent drumming. Going back to this, really, Eric, do you typically have a problem with Canadian music before? You didn't mention this in the Skinny Puppy episode. Uh-oh. I love skinny puppies. Skinny puppies, one of my top. Five. Are they okay? So they're one of the good ones, as you well, would say. Good ones. Okay, they're let's let's ones. break it down, Steve. Give me your top five Canadian bands. Top five. Without thinking, go for it. He's gonna say Rush. <laughs> I was just gonna say, and Rush. then he's gonna say Rush. I just wanted to defend Rush, really. No, Rush is. I'm not talking smack about Rush. I All right, yeah, Rush is Rush pairs very well with uh, Bioshock. By the way, a lot of the same themes. Uh, yeah. Tragically hip is that is that up there for you? Bare naked ladies. Bare naked I ladies. think they're number yeah. three. Yeah, it's been <laughs> <laughs> chickeny chong chong Chinese chicken. Yep. Oh my. Um, okay. All right. So that's that was the other stuff he was involved in during that time. Yeah. Not a lot going on for old TR. Not a lot going on. Perfect so. time to film a score to a movie. But what were we doing during 2010, guys? <sighs> I don't. I was just about, I was planning a wedding, I think, because yeah. I got married in 2011. I was living with my now wife, no kids. Uh, Were you living here? No, okay. I was not living here. I was still living in Midtown, Sacramento. Yeah, I went by your old place the other day. It, was that the year that we went to Portland for the bachelor party? Uh, no, that would be 2011. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Steve was still in San Francisco. I was living in San Francisco, I was... Uh, Transitioning from my this actually, if you guys remember correctly, my thirtieth birthday was so great that we got evicted for it, and so <laughs> we lost our spot in the mission, which was a great loss. That was your uh, that was your compound, the compound. Yeah, and uh, it hastened my plans. To I was already going to move in with my now wife, but uh, got forced into it. And so my wife and I moved in together that year. But she wasn't my wife yet. She wouldn't be my wife for five more years. In San Francisco, that was it. Lived right around the corner from the Hemlock, which just closed. By the way, rest in peace, rest in peace Hemlock. Um, Eric, you'd know that because every yeah, time you spent the night, we'd, we'd walk right over there. Because yeah. uh, good times. And I do remember seeing, I, I walked up to the Van Ness Theater and saw Social Network the, uh, like the weekend it came out. From that same apartment. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I was up. So I guess between the last recording, well, between the era of the last album, The Slip, and this one, we, uh, my wife and I had a baby. We had Lennox. A baby slipped out. Yep. And we immediately realized we couldn't afford health care because Obamacare, the uh, wonderful blessing of Obamacare, hadn't been placed upon our our foreheads at that point. So, um, we, uh, we did a mad dash. We had to go live somewhere cheaper in some place that had better health care, And that looked like the great state of Washington. Uh, and we went up there, lived in Tacoma, uh, Seattle area. Um, had a great time, uh, gotten a beer, gotten a coffee, um, and, uh, stressed out working, uh, you know, many jobs, uh, with a baby, but got got started going in my field of education uh, making some friends up there, uh, and then we, of course, didn't see the movie in the theater because we had a baby, so we rented it later. Uh, yeah, and then started planning how we were going to get back to California. <laughs> it's amazing how this is cliche as all hell. Time and priorities change when you have kids, but I was just realizing, or maybe just when you're an adult, but I, t- today I was listening to the new Uncle Acid album, and um, 
I was thinking about, man, didn't the last album just come out? And I was like, oh, no, the last album came out about three years ago. When you're a teen, three years in between albums sounds like a lifetime. Oh, yeah. Now you don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can get a lot of mileage out of a great album. I get a few. I get oh, yeah, you got nothing years. else to do. You don't have any other priorities. You're just focused on that one record over and over yeah. again. Ugh. Now, I like, like another, like Mastodon. Mastodon's a band I love. I feel like every time I turn around, they put a new album out. But it's still about two years in between the albums. You know, for the longest time, I uh, just it wasn't in my radar. But I finally sat down and I listened to Emperor of Sand, their latest one. Good record. It's a good record. Yeah, I had a suggestion from Steve. I listened to a podcast this weekend called uh, Sound Opinions. I think I might have sent you guys a link to it. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. That's out of Chicago. I think they started out like as just a radio show mm-hmm. and they have interviews with artists and the way they do it is they interview the artists and they do kind of what we do is play clips of the music in between uh, interview bits. And they did one with the drummer from Mastodon and it's highly recommended. And so, uh, they cover, they cover everything. So speaking of uh, Steve and having superpowers over me and Eric, uh, there'll be times where we're, you know, just riffing. I was going to say this for the threads. end, but let's let's just get into it. Let's get into it. All right. So um, Steve, <laughs> for whatever reason, dropped, oh, man, it's in the zeitgeist. And uh, he put the inception in me to listen to all of Korn's discography. You have to, you have to understand, dear listeners, is that much like many of you, we all have group texts with our friends. And something that just gets us through the days is constantly talking to each other in our text threads. That's just, it's sad, but that's what it is. Agreed. And there are times I know when I'll say something, and I know how Mark, Mark loves to do run-throughs. I don't know about as much as movies, but with bands, he will do it like crazy. And he's mentioned this many times. <laughs> and I would like, sometimes I'll go back and be like, ah, the first four Corn albums aren't that bad. And I know if I mention it to Mark, he might be like, huh, Really? But he'll take it all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. Um, so then after that, I was I, I gave Steve a running like, report. I want more. Give me more. I was well, like, well, okay, hold, on, hold on. Let's talk about let's talk about why I even suggest corn in the first place. I know half of our listener base, if not more, is like, my God, we thought you guys had taste. Listen, we're in our we're almost forty, meaning we were teenagers in the nineties, and this is before all you goddamn kids with your, uh, you know, now you can find whatever music you want online at all times. You don't have to sit through the bad shit. Well, we took what was given to us back then, living in, you know, Loomis, California. To us, in 1994, 14-year-olds, corn sounded like something incredible. And so those first few albums, we spent a lot of time with those teens. As adults, you're nostalgic for things, so you give them another chance. Those first three albums? I would say first four. Objectively, have some moments. Yeah. And but so, Mark kept going. <laughs> I went past where the border where there's there be dragons is written <laughs> on the map. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't find what uh, I was looking for, as uh, Bono would say. So <laughs> I uh, after that, I gave Steve the run through. He was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. He was like, I, what should I do next? So I was like, I'll probably do Slipknot. And he was like, he fell out of his chair because I knew <laughs> Slipknot was something that Steve holds near and dear. I do. And I always wrote that band off as a stupid band that is for professional wrestlers because they need to hide behind masks and jumpsuits. It was the metal version of ICP. And I was just like, nah. But I have to say, <laughs> I did a run through of their five records. And boy, I will gladly eat some crow. Slipknot, I tell you, the aesthetic is like a hot topic. 
the uh, <laughs> if you look at the fan base, you're like, uh, those guys really you want to be associated with that. The logo is dumb. The name, actually, everything except that's it. Everything except for the music of Slipknot is absolutely stupid. Yep. But the actual music, dare I say, pretty damn good. Do they have funny names? No, they, no their they names n- are numbers. Uh, numbers. Okay, they have funny names. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's true. But uh, no, there's a, they're, they're a metal band, but also for fans of Industrial, there's a ton of ambient noise. And there's more going on than what I expected. Yeah, there's a lot of stomp drum beats. Uh, the the first record I will give you does definitely kind of more fall into that new metal type of sound. It does. But then they get like, let's be artists and do albums two through five, Iowa. Uh, the, the subliminal one, verses, the subliminal verses, the third one, uh, all hope is lost. And, uh, point five, the great chapter, they have got some really good stuff and it's dynamic. So yeah, I'll eat my crow and you can at me and be like, fuck man, slipknot shit. But don't, you know, don't knock it till you've at least listened to half of one of their albums. Possibly the third one. That'd be the best one to start with. Look, if you knuckleheads out there defend later day KMFDM or later day ministry and you turn your nose up at Slipknot, <laughs> you guys need to, you know, reprioritize. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you that Corey Taylor, he can carry a tune. He can, uh, he can growl. He can sing nicely. He, uh, his lyrics are kind of ridiculous, but I've read worse definitely in my industrial journals, you know, so me and Steven around these parts, we definitely uh, feel that Rammstein are a flawless band. And I even <laughs> in my hyperbole said America's Rammstein. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wouldn't go that far because we've already established on this show that that is who Faith No More is. Absolutely. But, uh, maybe maybe Slipknot could be more. Uh, well, if you were to take their dynamicism dy- in, is that a word? Dynamicism? Dyn- uh, sure. And uh, some of the uh, the content the pacing of some of their songs and the various types of song craft. Maybe they're more like, we'll bring up Mastodon again. They're like Mastodon's little disturbed stepbrother. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a, there's a breadth there that I think is similar. So we're exclusively talking about the social network. Tonight. But hold on, Mark, <laughs> have we decided what the next, the next Mark, the next run through, the next run through will be. I haven't, I have a suggestion. It dawned on me today. Let's hear it. You did mention Danzig. Yep. That is a lot to swallow. One through four, they're great. One through, yes, they are. And then he made, I think, approximately 10 more albums. <laughs> I don't know if I have it in me. No. Because I know that I've dabbled in number five and I was like, yeesh. <laughs> now, this is a band that I've, uh, that I've pushed on Eric before and he enjoyed the one album I made him listen to. And I know when I put it that way, you're like, Steve, what kind of friend are you? I'm just how I am. Um, if you say AFI, I'm gonna destroy no, you. No, <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember how much of a fan you. Oh! I can't remember how much of a fan you are. So maybe this won't be a problem. So it might be nice for you. Typo negative. Oh, I've already done a run through. Oh, well, never yeah, mind. I'm all good with them. <laughs> yeah, hey. they're good. They're good. Those yeah. last couple albums were uh, underrated. I tell you, I am all good with typo negative. They're a solid, solid band. Well, I'm glad at least we're at least we brought up typo negative to win at least a, a third of our fan base back with what we were saying. Yeah. But you know, Typo Negative did probably tour with Slipknot, so they were both on Road Probably. Records. We saw Slim, uh, Typo Negative uh, live together at Slim's. Good God, were you at that show? I was. That was like 19 years ago, so. Yeah. 
He made some jokes about uh, the rice roni treat. Peter Steele's dead, right? He is. He is dead. May yeah. he rest in peace. Yeah. He was a big, beautiful man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, actually, then, okay, we leave it up to you, dear listeners. What should Mark's next discography run through be? Yeah. Give me some uh, give me some feedback. And don't just give them something terrible to make them do it. Listen, <laughs> I, the thing with corn went too puddle far. Puddle of mud, I think I heard they got really good after they got a new singer. <laughs> Did Who? they actually? I thought like... <laughs> like the thing with corn went too far. I didn't mean for it as that, that I started a joke. <laughs> but Slipknot, I truly believed. I was like, Mark might like this. Incubus. No. We know that's not good. Yeah. No, I will not do Nickelback. I will not do like... Air supply. Give me something like good. All right, guys. Right. Twenty ten. Let's uh, hear it. There's, I'm, there's. It's so recent. I feel so recent, but no. I guess. I guess it was eight years ago. Um, Super Bowl champions were the New Orleans Saints. Yep, I remember uh, that game. Uh, World Series cha- champions were the Giants. I'm familiar with that team. NBA champions were the Lakers. Oh yeah, twenty ten. Yeah, it's funny. Twenty as we've. Uh, Mark is the neutral baseball fan. That's one of the few balanced ones that we discussed that both appreciates both the Love A's. Love the game, baby. And he appreciates both the A's and the Giants. He's a fan of both. Some people can pull that off for various reasons. Many of us in this general regional area cannot. In 2010, though, I was all about the Giants winning that World Series. All about it. But then by 2012, when the A's weren't irrelevant anymore, and they had a shot, and then the Giants won it again, that's when I started to turn. And then in 2014, I think it broke me. But, uh, I think it largely had to do with the fact that you were living in the city that at the was time. Much, much of it was just like being at the epicenter of all these people having fun over this thing. Well, the little brothers across the way were still like swinging and missing when it mattered most. It amplifies it. Yeah. Um, anyhow, I forgot that 2010 was that year. Right. The uh, rally thong. Sex symbols. <laughs> right. Once again, we've only got the ladies on this particular website I'm looking at. Um, some new names popping up. Lily Allen. Interesting. Marion uh, Cotillard. Oh, interesting. That's right. Um, personal favorite of mine, Karen Gillan. Uh, one of the best uh, Doctor Who uh, uh, companions. Uh, we've got uh, January Jones uh, enjoying uh, that Mad Men uh, fame. Um, and uh, Zoe Saldana. Uh, so you have to remember that the amazing Star Trek well, hold on. reboot came hold, out this year. Hold on, it did. Are you done talking about the sex symbols? Yeah. 2010. Yeah. <sighs> Who are some men from that time? Some Probably monks. John Hamm. So yeah, Hamm was a hunk. Yeah, you got yeah, you got John Hamm. You got was lost to Army Hammer. Uh, Mark Branstead. <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, was lost to or was lost? No, that was over. Um, what about uh I was gonna pick that fox guy. Right. Well what, what about the fox. what about your uh who who's the Captain Oh Game of, Game of Thrones was starting that year, so we can Chris Pine. We could uh, then, Chris Pine. Uh, we could Chris say Pine. Kit Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington, but he was uh also think. then then but if you're gonna say Chris Pine, you can definitely say Chris Evans because Captain America. And Chris Helm- Helmsworth. Sure. And the the a lot of Chris's this is the era of the Chris's. Yep. It's true. Chris Hemsworth. Pratt. Chris Pratt was probably the the dumpy guy. Still he was still fat. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but my my terms back then, he was skinny. But <laughs> uh, so yeah. Then, so then what like, happened? So um, our boy Mark Zuckerberg, Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Um, 
Okay, so here's the thing. There was a heat wave in Russia. A thousand people died. Um, was it really a heat wave? But what they found out is most of them were swimming while drunk. That's what killed them. Wait, who were the doctors to say that they were <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> you were about to fall into a great I, Russian voice. Yeah, right there. I decided that I was like, you know what? Let's pull it back. We've been getting, we've been yeah. getting. Our listenership has been getting broader. Let's not try to, you know, shut yeah. anyone else with. Yeah. With that. my <laughs> man, there's a, a few days ago at work, a woman who is probably pushing sixty was discussing the very nice cafe run by uh, Korean immigrants near door, next door to us. And, uh, yeah, Mark, she didn't stop herself from (laughs) impersonating somebody. You're living in the state of Jefferson. (laughs) Anything goes. So Dave Grohl um, was admitted to the hospital for a drug overdose. He consumed too much caffeine while working on a new album. Speaking of Dave. Coffee. Speaking of a friend of the show, Dave Grohl. Yeah. Did you guys recently hear about how much he drinks before shows? Drinks alcohol? Yes. No. An insane amount. Really? Still, Appar- he seems like super put together. Apparently, either he was joking, or this is I've heard I've heard this repeated in a few places. Huh. His pre-show ritual, his band, involves escalating like from water beer to real beer, and shots of Jägermeister, and then finishing a bottle of Jägermeister before they go on. Jägermeister. Exactly. Wow. It has to be a joke. The maybe oh that's, that's, I don't know. Because <laughs> like if anybody else has heard this rumor and then heard that it's a it's fake and appreciate it. Yeah, you know, instantly when I heard this I was like, "My god. He doesn't he doesn't look like that at all." Not at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if anything, like if you were to tell me that Josh Hame did that, I'd be oh, like, yeah, well, yeah. "Fuck yeah, he does." And he peyote. probably probably yeah. throw some pills in there, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of a funny one um there was a uh, coffee and cigarette screening. Uh, uh, this is actually a few years, many years after that movie came out. But there was a coffee and cigarette screening at South by Southwest. Bill Murray, Rizza, and Jizza. It, it was. I'm sorry, Eric. I'm sorry to cut you off. It was from AlternativeNation.net, based off the old magazine. So you know, it's got to be true. It was an interview with K. Well, here's the thing. It was picked up from an interview with a radio station where Dave Grohl admitted all this. So then you, it almost you, you might think he's joking. I don't know how to get to the truth of this. We'll get Karen on it. Karen, All check right. it out. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Rizza, Jizza, Bill Murray uh, were at South by Southwest bartending. No matter what you ordered, they gave you shots of tequila. This is kind of an interesting, uh, you know, celebrity sighting. Bill uh, Murray and, and... And Rizza, Jizza. So yeah. the coffee and cigarettes crowd? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, that that not. I mean, not too much, guys. Listen, we had a great president. Wait, 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 wait. What about the top TV shows? Oh yeah, we're getting there. Okay, yeah, I just met for for news. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops was the big video game. Trent Reznor did uh, a song. I think yeah, the that, theme that's song the next episode. It. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. He did pretty good one too. Yep. Uh, okay, um, so we had popular movies were big movies. Number one, with a bullet, well-deserved Toy Story 3. That's a good one. Yeah. Falling down. Ah, Might be good. a perfect choice. One time I was coming back from New York, and I was incredibly hungover. It was a weekend of just partying with old friends. And um, Toy Story 3 was the movie on, mm-hmm. the, on the plane. 
I bet that was like a hot cup of cocoa. It for was you. about yeah, it's about a six hour flight, right? Yeah, that actually is well. It, I needed that movie at that time. Yeah, like when the movie makes you cry because oh. it does. Oh yeah, I started to feel better because I cried some of that liquor. I, I yeah. cr- when I'm hungover, I cry so much easier. I don't like you know what it is. Super yeah, vulnerable. It's like all on the surface. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, terrible Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland. It's number two. Oh God, he's uh, been in the weeds for so long. That Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, this Iron next Man one's two. Not gonna help. Iron Man two is three. Mm, that's uh, Iron Man two is good. That's my least favorite Marvel movie. What? Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree with Eric, but it has its moments. It okay, does have its I, I feel it's like not the, completely it, a miserable some good, experience. Okay, so there's some good elements. Uh, it has Sam Rockwell. Yeah, it has Sam Rockwell's amazing. Don friend Cheadle, of the show. Don friend che- of the show. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Friend of the show. Absolutely. Uh, Don Cheadle. Yeah. Like taking yeah, the mantle as a roadie. Great job. Um, but I would say Mickey Rourke's villain is the one of the, the worst Marvel villains. Yeah. See, he's so it bad. was around that time so when bad. the wrestler um, yeah. was no, doing he something. Was, so that he was yeah. the he was the the boy. But he's so time. bad. And that he's so bad. He's good in it for me. He's entertainingly bad. Yeah. But he's like inconsequential. But it's still more entertaining than Edward Orton's The Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I'll agree. Yeah. Uh, so this this year also gave us the end of Twilight, Twilight Saga. It gave us a the end of Harry Potter series. Great film called Inception. A, yeah, it was a good. Now one. you want to talk about good scores? Yeah, Inception. Oh yeah, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. That uh, that 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 I guess it would be the theme song or title track. Did you, you guys like Dunkirk? I did quite a bit. I never saw it. And I'm a huge Nolan fan, but yeah, I never saw it. I quite enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. Okay. We'll take it offline. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll take it offline. We'll take it offline. Uh, okay, so TV shows are terrible. If it's not NCIS or The Mentalist, the rest are like dancing with ding-dongs and stuff. It's not It's not good for TV. Not even worth bringing up. There anymore. was good shows at this time, and like Fringe was still on. There was fantastic shows at this time, but it's just they're not in the top ten. Yep. To bring it up twice in this episode, Parks and Rec probably started by this point. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely did. Yeah, not in there. Um, yeah, and some big songs, uh, you got Jay-Z's Empire State of Mind, you got... It's not a bad song. Keisha's TikTok. Nope, never heard it. Black Eyed Peas. Nope. I'm a B, no thank you. Um, you got Rihanna's Rude Boy, you got Bruno Mars popping his little head out to say, I got a song <laughs> called Nothing On You, 2010, hello. Um, Eminem had a song. Katy Perry, Snoop Dogg had a song called uh, "Play Girls." Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, not not a great, not nope, nothing to write home about music wise. That's twenty ten, guys. Is the world ready for the Social Network soundtrack? I I think they're ready. I think yeah. they're more than ready. It was probably against Slumdog Millionaire. Can I actually? Can I bring up something that happened in twenty ten? Sure. Um, that ties into something from yesterday. Is that was the year that ISIS broke up? Uh, the band ISIS. Not the uh, terrorist group? No, they're still going. Obama didn't get him? No. Or he found no. them at Trump this point. Trump broke them up. Trump broke them up this year. He got, he got some of them. But uh, ISIS broke up that year. A, a great band that uh, near and dear to my heart quite a bit. I think Mark's quite a big fan. Big fan. Um, it's a great, great band. I like him too, guys. All right. And Mark <laughs> or Eric, we know you like him too. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't keep... I don't uh, reference him nearly enough to get credit. There time. you go. That's fair. But it, it, a sludgy band, but they are melodic as all hell in this weird way. And um, a band that managed to pull off growl vocals, but it never got annoying. Um, I just, I love them. Every album was great. Even when they kind of got really proggy, I, good stuff. Anyhow, they broke up that year. And last night, actually, funny enough, 
Um, the bass player from this band called Cave In that Eric and I saw together. Yeah. Uh, uh, passed away, uh, I think, late last year, earlier this year. And Isis, Cave In, Converge, all these bands share band members. And they're all really tight. They're all from the Boston area, I believe, originally. And well, so they were, all, they were all kind of like hardcore bands that had some kind of mainstream breakthrough. Not not like top twenty, like but mainstream breakthrough. Enough, but they also you know. were bands that quickly evolved past what their initial sound was. Yeah. But um, anyhow, the whole point of this thing is is they were doing these um, benefit shows for the family members, and last night ISIS reunited for the first time since two thousand ten. As far as I know, they might have played a couple shows here and there, but as a big to do. They recall they renamed themselves Celestial just because why even waste your time trying to like you know some asshole's gonna have something to say this day and age. So yeah. um they, they it was in LA. They had an album called Celestial, right? Yes, that's where they got the name from. Yeah. Good name too, actually. Yeah. They streamed it on uh, YouTube the whole show, and I enjoyed watching it last night. Isis, great band. I would like it if they got back together to put a new album out, but if they don't they have a solid discography left behind. I'm sure Mark's done a couple one run-throughs on, on those before. I love ISIS. It was funny on Twitter not too long ago. I'm just uh, going to take that sound clip of you saying I love ISIS. <laughs> I love ISIS. I mean, what they stand for, um, who, what that organization is about. I just, you know. You just need something to believe in. You know, I just, I need it. Um, no. Did we get it clean? Okay. <laughs> um I saw on Twitter Grant Brisby, who's a baseball writer. Um, if you're a Giants fan, you may have uh, stumbled across McCovey Chronicles. He doesn't write for that anymore. Um, he writes for, and he's, I think he's even on TV now. He's on TV sometimes on like local Giants stuff, I think. Yeah. But he definitely, Funny guy. he's, he's like a, he got like elevated to a higher position to SB Nation. He's a great writer. Great writer. And fa- uh, fantastic. Someone had put out like a question, like, "What band uh, would you not w- be comfortable wearing their T-shirt anymore?" <laughs> and he absolutely just was like, "ISIS." Yeah, yeah. This is a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, thank you for that little aside, guys. Uh, so, at the, what's at next? the very least, you know, you won't get a lot of Nine Inch Nails talk, but you get a lot of great recommendations. Yeah, there's a lot of content, and, and I'll be honest with you, that was by design. That I was like, I don't know how much we can talk about this soundtrack. And we know that our episodes are never long enough. Oh, yeah, so. not at all. <laughs> of course. <laughs> this will be another four-hour affair. Do it. Uh, so I would like to uh, introduce a guest. This would be uh, our first guest that we've had call from Washington, I believe. Ed, are you currently in Washington? I'm, I'm currently in Washington. Um oh. It's yeah. It's there. We have we have fish. We have coffee. There, are those things are all around me. It's very Washington like. Oh, good. So this is a this is friend friend of the the actual hosts, uh, Ed Casey. Good friend. Good uh, friend. Good, a great friend. <laughs> um, Ed, Ed, tell tell us a little about yourself. What do you What do you do? Where are you from? Give us a quick. Life story about Ed Casey. Oh, let's see. Uh, I grew up uh, up in those uh, Sierra foothills, uh, up in, up in the Gold Country. Um, was that actually Calaveras? What county? Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't know that I want to, you know, like compromise my opsec in that way. But uh, yeah, yeah, Calaveras County. Well, you're uh, gonna have to because I only brought it up because I was there today, as you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You were on the bad side of the county. Um, I was. Yeah. So I was. Uh, as the song goes, I was born in a small town. Uh, born and raised in a small town. 
Um, and then, you know, quickly got out, uh, bounced around the greater Bay area for a while, landed in the city, uh, met Steve on the internet to discover that we, uh, lived just a few blocks away from each other. When I say on the internet, uh, it wasn't anything weird. It was just a comic book message board. It wasn't like, you know, yes. a Craigslist misconnection. Eric, as Eric knows, it was the Brian Michael Bendis message board. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, Ed, because we were drunkards that like writers, his uh, <laughs> his name was somehow tied into Charles Bukowski. And I yeah. thought, oh, that's cool. And then uh, eventually we started talking. And uh, occasionally we, I would bitch about the fact that he was a Giants fan and they get all the nice things and I'm an A's fan and I'm bitter. True. And uh, one day we realized we literally lived like five blocks from each other. Yeah. And, uh, we became great buddies mm-hmm. and started hanging out all the time until Ed moved first. Yeah. And I always thought that uh, I was going to be the one that moved out of that damn city first. I feel like you planned to move first. I just actually like broke the city limits uh, before you did. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So then I moved up here uh, to Washington because uh, I fell in love. Um, and now I live up here in Seattle, uh, and I work for, uh, an unnamed company. That's a subsidiary of the other unnamed company. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's my life in a, in a nutshell. It's a good life. Ed's, Ed's a good egg. Um, I, I, he was one of the last people I decided I should waste my time being friends with as an adult. Uh-huh. Cause you get, as you get older, you want to start paring down, but I just couldn't deny him. That's and then, nice. uh, as I've introduced him to these two guys and they love Ed too. We all yeah. love it. And yeah. I couldn't be more excited for uh, the official crossover between Pod Like a Hole and Issues, my favorite junk food, snack food <laughs> podcast, and my favorite comic book podcast. Well, you know, we're just happy to be in the top 20. Uh, so that's <laughs> nice to hear. Thank you. Uh, How so many yeah. po- just, issues is the only podcast you have going on right now, right? I mean, I wouldn't say I have it going on right now. Um, it's probably been a few months since the last episode. I, like Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved. I moved up here. Um, uh, I'm got married. I'm very happily married. Uh, have two uh, sort of wild ass dogs, and just had a son. Uh, and then my co-host is now the dean of a prestigious art and design school. So, oh. Uh, oh, and man. on the East Coast. So between the two of our schedules and time zones, we uh, do not find the time to record. But yeah, we live 20 minutes from each other here, and we can barely make this shit yeah, work. I hear you. <laughs> um, I do want to mention that I, I really wanted to make sure that we brought up Calaveras County because I was up there this weekend. And I yeah. have to tell you, gentlemen, I think I, I thought I lived in the state of Jefferson fr- stronghold. <laughs> no, the true heart of the great state of Jefferson has to be somewhere near uh, Jamestown or, uh, you know, Frogville or in one of those damn places. Yep, because those flags are everywhere. Yeah, you know, listeners. Well, we have a lot of listeners that aren't in California. Why? But uh, and, and or Oregon, <laughs> I guess state of Jefferson does go up to Oregon. So uh, do a do a do a Wikipedia search for State of Jefferson. Um, it's a political movement with a un unexplainable double X logo. Yeah, it's yeah. It basically if you take the clampers, which is also something you probably don't know about if you're not a Californian, and uh, you mix them with uh, what, what's some, what's like a harmless conservative movement. I don't think there is such a thing. The Proud Boys? No. <laughs> the Proud Boys. Oh, Jeez. Uh, who knows? Yeah, they're definitely not harmless. Uh, see, nobody in the state of Jefferson has ever punched anybody in the head, at least on the news. Yeah. Um, anyways, state of Jefferson. Casual tea partiers? Maybe. Yeah. There's definitely a crossover between the LARPing tea partiers in the state of Jefferson. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of tri-corner hats and fifes and, uh, and political opinions that aren't totally aren't racist, but definitely are. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, Ed, we we had you on because you're you're a good talk. (laughs) And uh, we also just love the sound of your voice. That's nice. But also, since we're talking about the the social network tonight. Yep. The movie. Yes. 
you in your travels you've 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 worked nearish like silicon valley type entities of some sort or at least in like neighboring industries like the game industry and stuff right i i have spent probably too much time personally and professionally uh engaging with all manner of social media um and yeah that has unfortunately put me in contact with some of the uh tech broier sides of tech bros yeah, right. So. I mean, between yeah, between between Mark's Mark's profession and yours, I mean, we got a, definitely a couple of a gaggle of, te- of techies here yeah. tonight. Yeah, but we can't speak bad of one of them, or we'll get shut down. <laughs> <laughs> the laptop will just go dead. <laughs> They're always watching. It's got a kill, kill, kill switch. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, to, to keep things on topic, though, and Ed, this is this is uh, do do you. Uh, our Lord and Savior, Trent Reznor, do you have any kind of relationship with him? Oh, man. I feel, I guess, a little bad because I, I guess I don't uh, as much. I, uh, you know, as mentioned, I grew up in the in the deep, dark hills um, of Calaveras County. And so my exposure to any sort of music scene was pretty limited. Um, I'm sure you all are familiar with Quad 106.5. So if it was oh, on yeah. those airwaves, uh, I, you know, I heard it. So I think my exposure to Nine Inch Nails was probably... Uh, you know, the same as everybody else's, but they sort of had their, their couple of big radio hits. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the one, the one with all the swears that, uh, you know, that made me feel weird things in my teenage parts, I guess. That would have been closer. Yes. <laughs> That's the one. That was definitely a quad one of 6.5 staple. Yeah. So that was all of your, uh, your bona fides when it comes to uh, your backstory on Nine Inch Nails. You Except, knew of them, but you never really gave them the time. I right. know that Ed is a, is a hip-hop head, Ed and I have had many conversations. Yep. So but that, even, that was sort of, uh, even that was sort of a late break for me. I mean, I didn't really, you know, start, uh, you know, as, as, I, as I attended Sonoma State, you can imagine, like, yeah, the deep hip-hop scene there. Um, but, yeah, I, went, I went there too. I went to Sonoma State for one year in uh, two thousand or uh, two thousand one. Oh yeah, you just missed me. I think I'd uh, uh, taken a leave of absence by then, which is to say, dropped out. Uh, <laughs> I got to start using that phrase when I talk about being yeah. a dropout. Yeah, I'm on hiatus. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, if it was if it was on the radio, chances are I heard it. I'm I think I I'm sure I owned a CD at some point. You know, as any good. Uh, you know, making my, my semi-regular trips down to the Arden Fair Mall. Uh, I'm sure I had a, what was the one with like the, you know, the, the raggedy ass looking rope and a coil on the uh, cover. I probably owned that. Um, but yeah, not, I, I guess there wasn't, uh, there wasn't much of a, uh, a nine inch nails crowd, I guess in my, it would have been what my high school years probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. So never, yeah. I wouldn't say that they like embedded themselves deep in my heart. Well, that that's fine. You're not on trial here. <laughs> <laughs> we're forced to ask the question. This whole system's um, out of order. But, but you know, as, uh, if you I need me on that wall. <laughs> if, I, if I recall correctly, you did at one point work in a comic shop, right? I did. Yes. Oh, uh, did I, you I, ever work in a? Did you ever work in a record store? I did. I worked at Tower Records, right uh, during its death rattle. Um, in fact, uh, the. I think I interviewed for the job at Tower Records. This is Tower Records Concord location, so real flagship store. Um, and I think I interviewed for the job, and the next day uh, the headlines were Tower Files for Bankruptcy. So I wasn't really expecting to get the job, um, but then one of their supervisors got, uh, you know, as happens, uh, fired for shoplifting, and so they had a hold of Phil. So that was me. <laughs> Plus they got to man those aisles when they do their, uh, their, their closing down sale. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We went, we went from like selling CDs to like selling the racks that the CDs went on pretty quickly. 
<laughs> I wasn't actually, I was gone before like the actual liquidation happened, but it was like, it was week to week for a while. Like we would all be, Oh, like we actually got new releases in. That's exciting. Um, and then I, I bounced before the ax finally fell, but it was, yeah, it was dark times. Yeah. How was Colin Hanks? You guys friends? <laughs> Best friends. Yeah. Weird. I wasn't in that documentary, but, uh, it was weird. I didn't see him there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a background player. I didn't, I didn't see anybody I knew in that documentary. Cause again, the Concord location, but I saw like the types of people uh, that I worked with. And like, it was just a lot of people who'd seen empire records one too many times and like really wanted to live the dream. And it's like, no, but seriously, we should like do some work. Like I don't have the world's strongest work ethic, but like, wow, record store work ethic is some shit, man. <laughs> uh, but it builds great friendship it, and character never talked, I, so I don't talk so to any well. of those people anymore but probably <laughs> they seem to be really good friends with each other <laughs> so not to uh jump too much gears here but uh i obviously assume that you saw uh the movie the social network mm -hmm. uh were you a fan oh yeah absolutely i mean it's uh, um i'm a uh, a deep, deep Sorkin fan from way back. Like I think I still own somewhere around here a Sports Night box set Sorkin fan. So um, oh, anything like anything with his name on it, um, I'll I'll definitely give a chance to. And then you know you throw in Fincher, and then you throw in sort of the whole like you know just mystique of the whole thing, and like that trailer with like the creepy slow song like version of the song. Um, I, I actually, yeah, that's something I wanted to bring up. That so the the trailer yeah. and Mark, you should, you should drop drop that. The, the song in there. Remember, it was the, the slow version of Creep. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And was that the first time that the whole, like, that I remember, <laughs> it seemed like every trailer now has a minor key a, a version of a hit. Of, I, of I children's. Donnie Darko may have kickstarted that. But nobody gave a shit about Donnie Darko when it first came out in the theaters for the trailer. I think it's kind of a, um, I think it's kind of a second cousin of, like, yes, that's a trailer thing now, but I think it's sort of a spinoff of, um, I think of it as the scene from Face Off where, like, what a wonderful world is playing during like the craziest gunfight. Right. So the, like the nice, sweet twinkly song during like horrible violence. Um, so then I, I think the like, yeah, the minor key version of a beloved song to make a trailer feel weird is like sprung out of that. Yeah. That's my totally um, unresearched I'm theory. Like I'm, I, I'm sure I have events out of order there. So I'm sure you have a, a professional fact checker on board to check me on that. But. Um, Karen, is that correct? <laughs> She's nodding yes. Um, so Karen's terrible at her job. <laughs> she always nods yes. Classic Karen. That's why we keep her around. Tell us what we want to hear. Um, Karen, have I lost weight? Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm right along with you. Aaron Sorkin is fantastic. I'm actually going through uh, the very first viewing of The West Wing right now. For whatever reason, I, I want to see what a functional government looks wait, like. Wait, when you say it's first viewing, you mean like you're rewatching the first season or you've never seen The West Wing before? Never seen The West Wing before. Wow. Okay. What, a great, what a great position. Can you believe that? I almost envy him. It's a good I, I, And uh, yeah, I also, like it's, it should be subtitled West Wing, The Walk and Talks, um, but it's a fantastic yeah. show. You know what they call The Walk and Talks? There are a lot of them. What's that? There's a, there's a, the Donatella. Yeah. <laughs> because Donna, they're walking, Bradley Whitford is always getting the viewers up to speed on the plot uh -huh. when he's walking with Donna and telling her the plot. And oh, really? Like, That's <laughs> yeah, really yeah. funny. Yeah. I, I mean, I got, I'd be so interested to hear like, cause I mean, I watched it. I probably watched it during, cause I wasn't an original viewer either. So I was, I was a late comer, but not this late to it. I probably watched it during like George W's, uh, reign of terror administration. Um, 
And even then, and even then, it seemed like a quaint, like a, you know, a quaint throwback to yesteryear, where like the government still had hope. And so I'm wow, like what's it like watching that now, like with you know all of this yeah. as he gestures wildly at everything <laughs> around him. <laughs> yeah, well, like yeah. the biggest scandal of the year is like a Democrat tells a Republican that they worship money yeah. or something, like on live TV. <laughs> no, but like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love Aaron Sorkin's other work, um, and most of his stuff was through film, not so much through um, his television work. Like, uh, I did watch the newsroom, but that was after you know I had seen. I've watched the newsroom so many times, and like, it's such a mess, and I love it so deeply, but it's like it's so terrible on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a mess. And then um, I actually watched the entire one season of Studio sixty on the Sunset yep. Strip. That was actually what made me a Sorkin fan. I hadn't watched the Yes, I, I stand I stand by it as well. Yeah. And if anything for that, that Christmas. Meanwhile, episode. your brother's standing in the middle of Afghanistan. Like that's just uh yeah, that's some that's some good stuff. <laughs> uh we were talking uh, recently uh offline here that um Sports Night is unavailable anyway. I know it was streaming. on Hulu for a hot minute, now it's mm-hmm. gone. It's very upsetting. Yeah, Mark Mark's never seen it, and I know it's yeah. on that one either. Uh uh, that that and I didn't see that until shit like yep. three years ago. Yeah, it was on Netflix. Like, yeah, and I just was like, my god, I, I a hole that I didn't know was there. I, was filled. I, not not to go like not to go you know like music, like hipster nerd on you, but like I watched it when it was on, and then it was gone, and it was very upsetting. Um, wow. And I mean, you, you like you were there when they took the right. Laugh track yeah, away. And I cheered <laughs> quietly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, like, I, I so feel you like that. Discovered- you discovered the joy of Peter Krause right. before many like of us that did. Show, that show would do so well now, I think. I think like, I mean, I know ahead of its time gets thrown around a lot, but, um, you know, in, in a world where we now live with, like, you know, your your good places and your communities and, and everything else, like, I think that show, like, would, would thrive these days, but it just wasn't. The, the, the world wasn't ready. Right. So this is a perfect movie project for Sorkin because you get boardroom, you get boardroom mm-hmm. banter, um, you get some, which is really where, you know, you get, it's really and like, uh, business talk and stuff. That's really where he shines, yeah. uh, in general. Um, but, but then getting witty when you have to talk about really drab things, like that's yeah. what he's really good at. Um, and you know, I just to play devil's advocate, he's not the best at writing. No, no, he, he might be among the worst, and, honestly, when you get right down to it. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, uh, <laughs> And, and and there's not much for him to do uh, in that department in this. Yeah, in this well, and in this script, actually having a person that's not good at writing lady characters might be good because so many interactions are from people that are just not good. Yeah, doing I mean, from that yeah. like from that opening scene, right, where um, I and I just saw the meme cross my dashboard uh, this morning. Where, uh, but, you know, when, when she says to him. uh you know, you're, you're going to think people don't like you because you're too smart or because you're too, you know, whatever, but like, really, you're just kind of an asshole. Um, and how like every, like every entitled comic skate nerd, like needs to, like needs to hear that, like have someone give them that speech every day for the rest of their lives. Um, but yeah, nobody, like nobody else could have written a movie about the creation of a website and like made it this interesting, you know? Um, because you're right. Like the, like boardroom scenes, like depositions, like let's be honest, are probably boring as hell. Never been in one knock on wood. Um, but like, yeah, he does that. He writes people who think they're the smartest person in the room or sometimes are the smartest person in the room, like really well. And like this movie's just packed to the gills with them. So. Right. Um, so in your experience of working in, uh, in tech and especially <laughs> when you were in the Bay area, 
did some of these characters, did it seem true to life or was it more super exaggerated? Uh, what you saw. In the, oh, I think there were certainly like, you know, there, there were caricatures of like a type of person in a lot of ways. Um, and also like I, you know, at my mm-hmm. level, I was certainly never like interacting with people who were like the creators or founders of anything. Um, at least not anything on that level. Um, but yeah, just that sort of like, mm-hmm. um, what's, what's the speech that Timberlake gives, right? Like this is our time, you know, and just like, just a bunch of dudes in branded That's t-shirts right. walking around with that swagger of like, we're going to change the world. And it's like, well, really like you're right. making an app that hires somebody to like empty the cat box for you. Okay. So like, I don't know if I would call this world changing, right? Yeah. Like you're, you've invented something to have somebody else do your chores. Right. Like we're not, you know, we didn't invent the like flight, you know, we didn't invent space travel here. Um, so yeah, that definitely that disconnect yeah. between like how great I and grand, I think my life and my career and like everything I'm doing is versus like what you're actually doing. Um, I, yeah, I crossed paths with a few of those, certainly. I think, uh, he captured with the Timberlake character, especially, which obviously he's supposed to be the amalgam for like the tech bro. And, but it's just yeah. so short-sighted and he's not, you know, he's trying to like maximize on the opportunity in the moment, for sure. not thinking like long-term, which I think, it's a thing, and that's that's the downfall of a lot. Of well, you look at the mess that Facebook's guys. in now because they, you know, they their whole motto of like move fast and break things, and like, well, one of the things you broke was like a lot of people's personal privacy rights. Like, the second half of move fast and break things is, yeah, like, like the whole thing of like move fast <laughs> and break things, but like then go back and fix them afterwards, and like that second half, I don't think ever gets done in, in Silicon Valley. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, so speaking of that, um, it, do you feel that in the film uh, that uh, they portray Mark Zuckerberg to be uh, a little more um, of a sympathetic person? Or do you feel like, do you root for this guy? Are you wanting him to fail? Because um, the reality of like who Mark Zuckerberg is in real life, you obviously want person to wearing robots down skin. a pain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> when he was going through the congressional hearing, yeah, I mean, he looked like yeah. uh, a prototype of data. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems that in the film, though, he kind of goes through a character arc. And this movie came out around mm-hmm. the same time as There Will Be Blood, if I recall. And so they're both like character portrayals of people who Captains just lose of their industry, soul right? and trying to get what they want. Right, exactly. But um, in totally different ways. Completely different ways. Like one, one has one yeah. has no ego. And well, the other it's, the, all ego. it's the you know the myth of bootstraps versus the actual bootstraps, right? Um, but yeah, I think I think a couple oh. of things. Um, I think a lot of things. I think yeah, like if this if this movie came out in its current form today, like I don't know how recently you guys watched it, but like what, even watching it now, like sort of knowing what we know about Facebook, knowing what we know about Zuckerberg now, I it, he's certainly like much less sympathetic. Um, at the time, I think that's sort of the, you know, the myth of like the Silicon Valley boy King, um, was still very much alive and well, and like, hadn't been, um, you know, sort of hadn't been shattered by like the reality. Um, but if you were like, yeah, if, if Facebook wasn't a real thing, if Zuckerberg wasn't a real person and you just watch this movie totally in a vacuum. Yeah. I think you root for him a little bit, you know, like he comes off a little underdoggy, um, you know, there are like forces stacked against him or like, he's sort of the rebel, like, you know, like fuck you! I'll wear my flip flops to, to board the, meetings, the, whatever. Like he, he definitely has that. Like, yeah, you definitely root for him a little bit. And then he's also got that soft side of like, what's that? Snobs versus the snobs. Yeah, for sure. Hundred percent versus the snobs for sure. Yeah, at the same yes. time, they're all going also to Harvard. True. None of them are really snobs. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, 
when I off the Caddyshack. When I, uh, they're gentlemen of Harvard. Um, you know, I, I did rewatch it again uh, about uh, 15 days ago. Yeah. I watched the first half, and then I finally finished it this weekend. Yeah, my God, it holds up. It's a four star movie. Yeah, I love it top to bottom. There are parts in it that aren't emotional, like they're not supposed to be emotional parts for the characters, but they're so well done that it makes me get emotional. Um, yeah, and that's just a lot of that's David Fincher. The guy knows how to he knows how to frame a scene, and then uh, the, mm-hmm. the 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 Reznor music, um, Reznor and Ross is uh, always well 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 placed. Um, something to the portrayal of Zuckerberg when it first came out. Uh, what was the name of the book it was based off of? Accidental Billionaires. Accidental Billionaires. I didn't read the book, but I looked up um, some of the differences in portrayals. And apparently in the book, uh, Zuckerberg's even more um, withdrawn and uh, doesn't seem very spiteful at all, which they kind of sometimes like bring up in the movie. And then all the characters he's up against, if for lack of a better term, like the Winklevosses, are total assholes. And they, you know... They almost yeah. got what was coming to him, I guess, kind of in the book. And when the movie first came out, yeah, like you're, you're saying, Ed, you might kind of feel bad for the guy. But since then, now knowing what we know now, I, I almost wish they would have uh, like <laughs> yeah. bagged on, on uh, Zuckerberg yeah. a little more. Yeah. Uh, this isn't really – this movie's not really a biopic, but bi- the genre of biopic is like my least favorite of all genres. I just find them so soft and pandering. Uh, but what I like about this one is it's not even the, the bio part isn't totally accurate, but you take a situation with real people that happen in recent history and there's a theme that Fincher wanted to, and, and Sorkin wanted to, to tell. And it was just a variation of yeah. these real events was the way to bring that out. And I thought it was. Yeah. And again, homework. I mean, you know, yeah, this, I mean, and the same thing I said about Sorkin, right. Of like, you know, who, like who else could make the invention of a website? Like, you know, sounds so good. I mean, the same goes for Fincher. Like, like who knew that, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of nerds invented a website could like look so good, you know, and just, and, and just like, I don't know, just like pack so much into scenes that are essentially, you know, people like sitting around a boardroom talking or like, you know, like even like the, the computer hacking, you know, computer, like doing hard computer work scenes in, in movies are like notoriously hacky and terrible. Um, but like these, these felt much more like much more grounded, you know, and much less like I don't think anybody ever said I'm in, you know, while they like typed a bunch of shit, um, and like I would have liked to have seen some computer yeah. graphics going through a catacomb or a labyrinth uh, to get to the, exactly the, uh, yeah, some real like just just bar, just borrow some effects great. straight over from hackers, I right? Mean, just paste them into this movie. <laughs> Or in this movie needed just a just a touch more Dennis Miller, just like the net needed. <laughs> you know, calls everyone cha cha, and then you know yeah. does his thing he's and a, walks he's off a screen. once in a generation talent. Let me tell you, <laughs> Eric. Eric, to your point, and um, I got some notes here that might carry us to the rest of the conversation because uh, I basically live blog this thing myself, like I did with the crow. Okay, but um, to your point, Eric, about how it's not a biopic, but it's kind of like. Uh, biography of uh, real events, sure. for lack of a better term. I think this movie pairs well with another Aaron Sorkin mm-hmm. kind of pen, pen movie in Moneyball. Oh yeah, I think they, yeah. they both go really great together. Yep. And Moneyball's t- t- Moneyball yep. gets the lineups of the teams wrong at that time, and 
it mashes characters together all over the well, place. Well, they, they talk it, about the team. Really I won't get deep into Moneyball with you guys, but like they talk about the team and like it's you know it's unprecedented, like it's unexpected success without mentioning the like trio of like monster pitchers they had. Right? It's like oh here, here's our goofy first baseman who's not very good at ground balls. It's like yeah, but by the way, like you have three of the best pitchers in the game going one two three, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's irrelevant. It's well, I mean, you like if you watch the West Wing, like there's all this political stuff they're talking about, like oh, it's X twenty three weekend. Well, oh, that's well, not X twenty three, but <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it, it's some they it's not a real thing that 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 happens currently. Yeah. Um. So to the Nine Nails nerds in the room, do you remember the first time you said? Well, I feel like I saw it in a theater, but I don't have a strong memory of that. Um, but I, yeah, I think I probably saw it in a theater. I waited for video. You waited for it. Mark, did you see it in the I theater? I saw it on, I bought it sight unseen on Blu-ray oh, when see, it came I, out. I went and yeah. saw it in the theater. And I actually remember when I first heard the, uh, the plinking of the, the Nine Inch Nail hand-covered brew song. Oh, yeah. And then saw their name on the screen. We're used to it now. They've scored a billion things. But I was like, oh, this is... This is great. Oh, I was I was so excited. At that. the time, Nine Inch Nails was on hiatus, so uh, that was pretty. I had a newborn in two thousand nine, as as we've talked about, or we will talk about. Yeah. So no, I, I, I watch movies in twenty minute increments now. With that, yeah. um, so so for you, so Steve, you knew, I assume yeah. that that Trent Reznor was was doing the score to this going in. Yeah. Okay. But if you like know, knowing yeah. knowing what yes. you know of his like of his style yeah, and his music, well, like, do you feel well, like if you would watched it blind, not knowing that? And like, would you just know from hearing it or is it, um, cause I don't know, I don't know Dick about musical scores. So does it like, does it sound no. like him? You would now. You would, huh. you would now. Now back then, no, it didn't sound like anything that really did to an extent. If you were a Nine Inch Nails fan, it would have sounded like the instrumental album ghost, which was a bunch of instrument, uh, parts uh-huh. of it was a bunch of like, uh, improvised stuff, but none of it sounded like an official release then. Now, if you were to hear, like if I were to put on, that uh, movie Patriots Day now. Not knowing Trent Reznor did the music. Wait, the Mark Wahlberg About movie? He did the two score songs in, I would know he was doing the music because yeah. they've done so many movies. Yes, it's very It's strange. actually not a bad movie if you can uh, – have you seen that okay. movie, Ed? It's really not that bad. Lindsay hasn't let you watch that movie or – I mean, isn't, it's all about Boston. I know. Her, yeah, her her Boston runs deep, but we haven't gotten to that one yet, no. so I don't know. It's really not that bad. I think it might be on right. one of the streams. I'm not sure if it's on HBO Go or whatever. But I, I watched it just because I knew Trent Reznor did the score. Oh. I actually purchased the CD score soundtrack oh. to this social network before um, the movie came out. So, like, I was geared up. And then when I went to watch the movie later after the fact, sure. it was me just trying to place where the music was going to be. And sometimes, like, on screen, I felt like mm. the mu- uh, music was a little out of place. But then, like, after rewatching okay. it over and over again, um, it started to make more sense. Because it sounds like the the score actually sounds like it could be a horror film. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, and that's I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of it sounds like John Carpenter stuff to me. A lot of the the, the epic synths. Sure. Well, we're, Ed, we're not going to make you sit through our track by track, but one thing I'll bring up often is um, he uses this machine called the Swarmatron. Uh, it's a, that it's sounds a, like something Cobra Commander would unleash on the Joes, but go on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's and uh, there's a clip of it on the special features where he says he bought it from a couple of, of course, uh, craft keyboard makers from Brooklyn, of course. <laughs> and it's like something where as you play it, it brings like a hundred notes together and vibrates them all, and it's like one, so it sounds like a swarm. Anyways, 
that's that like haunting vibra- vibrating thing that you hear show up in like half I, the song. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like it's almost part of the whole um, palette of the album, and it's it kind of like runs with the theme of you know no matter what's happening, success, whatever, you know, yeah. our lead characters, like crippling anxiety is always overshadowing everything. It's a, it's and that sort of like, it's that sort of like a sound that like is familiar and makes you uncomfortable at the same time is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. We're like the rest of the music could be pretty, but that's, you hear that coming up in the background. It's just a reminder, like, just like yeah. the Mark character always has to live with that, that, that anxiety. It's always, it's always there. And I think it's, I think that's why, sure. It could be sound like a horror movie. That's why I think it actually fits just fine if you're looking at it. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of audible, audible anxiety sounds like a really fun album to listen to. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just as haunting as that uh, is that I didn't realize this until this most recent watch through. Is that also this movie was executive <laughs> produced by Kevin Spacey? Yeah, I saw that too. Yep. But I think they had a he had a good relationship with David Fincher yeah. because David Fincher, like you know, did the House of Cards everything yeah no, so, no speaking of yeah. you know opinions have changed since this movie came out sure yeah reputations and whatnot yikes yeah uh <clears throat> one thing at the time when it first came out you know that uh i think within the first like few minutes you realize that they perfectly cast um lex luther <laughs> i can't think of his name now jesse eisenberg jesse eisenberg lex luther that's right yeah, yeah. perfect yeah. casting for that movie too well actually no actually you know he, in this movie, he, was, a, he was a better lex luther in the social network than he was in justice league or whatever and, and yeah, yeah in those boardroom scenes i'm like i could see where they got the idea for luther and then he showed up as a guy that took three too many Adderalls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he just shows up. He's like, but what if I was a little bit the Joker? And it's like, no, dude, stay in your lane. Like, this is a different movie. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those boardroom scenes, he sits there with this look in his face. And I'm like, oh, that's the Luther you want. But, yeah. Uh, it yeah. It really come through. Now, like, fuck you. I'm here because I have yeah. to be. Uh, yeah. So I'm not, so I'm not a movie score guy. Like, is this is this you know is this top five, top ten, or is this like it's like well, separated from the resonerness and separated from like the movie itself? Like, does this thing rank? I think you're biased. That's, I think we're a little biased crowd. I mean, it's a good it's a good score. It won an Oscar for it. Um, I don't I can't remember what it was up against. Um, I, I would say that 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 especially at the time, I think this score would have yeah. stood out. I, I think it didn't sound like anything else. Um, and I think, I think it would have raised eyebrows for anybody that, that pays close attention to that. I mean, I gotta say um, like, as a, as a guy who's not a huge Reznor guy or a huge, like, you know, movie score guy. And even before, you know, getting invited on to do this, like I knew Trent Reznor did the score for this movie, you know? So I maybe, I don't know if that yeah, says anything about it's sort of, you know, his, his cachet or whatever else, but like, I don't know who does a lot of scores of a lot of things, but like, I know that he did this one, so maybe that's just because I'm free. Well, yeah, I think, and I think at the time people were like, "Wow, he's doing the score." Yeah. A, he's doing the score for a movie. Interesting. B, uh, the Facebook story. Yeah. But then when people saw it, they're like, "Oh, I get it," <laughs> and then it clicked. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's not an iconic score. It's not like Jaws or Psycho or anything right. like that. But I mean, it's uh, it's not a bad. It, it, see, here's the thing: like when Steve was talking about ghosts, um, there are some. There's like two songs that he took from that instrumental album and he kind of reworked them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's been dabbling with kind of atmospheric, um, you know, soundscapes for a well, little bit. He made bit. the soundtrack to Quake. Come on. Right. <laughs> exactly. As we all know. So, <laughs> as you all know. Um, so, like, uh, I mean, I was not expecting much from the score. It was just more about, oh, let me complete my collection. 
this will look great on my my bookshelf. But I can put it on. I I I I do like the score a lot, and I can put it on like a normal album and just listen to it all the way through. I actually, that's all I did the last three weeks. I've been cramming for a work related test that I took yesterday. Great music for that. And I studied. Yeah. And I, well, and I studied, and this was my soundtrack for studying. And it's like. It's 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 good in the sense that I mean half the songs sound like you can hear keyboards clicking in the background. Mm, it just yeah. it just like I don't know. It, it could just be me, but it put me in the right frame of mind to study. Oh, this sure. this there are some great montages in this movie, yeah. and part of that's Fincher can cut a montage like nobody's business. But the music is uh, incredible. Like for example, uh, was it endless possibilities? I always get that one wrong. What's intriguing, the, possibilities. intriguing possibilities yeah. is the uh, where they're coding like they're coding the website for the first time and. Uh, it's uh, it's towards the beginning of the film um, when he's live journaling at the same time. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it is kind of doing a hot or not thing. Oh no, that's a different song. That's in motion. But that's fine. oh, in motion, the second track. Yeah. Well, yes. We'll Zuck, we'll Zuck on it. Um, Zuck. <laughs> yeah. Where they talk about live journal. Ed, did you have a live journal? Yeah, I think I had. Uh, I definitely had a live journal account. I don't know that I ever posted anything to it. Um, I think it was just I wanted to have another link to put to my MySpace page. Probably, who knows? <clears throat> was that just like a blog spot? I mean, what the hell? I don't even know. The well, live journal. There was live Blogger. journal. There was uh, Friendster. Yeah. There was MySpace. Was there Makeout Club? I think it was something else. I never used. That it. sounds like something you were a part of. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make. I just wanted to see if you had any good anecdotes about live journal. Apparently, you don't. No, I think um, I think probably I think probably some people I knew did, uh, and I wanted to like post clever comments on their live journal so that they would like me. But I don't know that I ever posted anything myself. Were you even clever at the time? I mean, it's hard to say. I grew up in. I feel like you finally came in your own about three years ago. That's what I would say two and a half, but that's nice of you to say. <laughs> um, and on the rest of the, the rest of the cast, I also think uh, Andrew Garfield was perfectly cast as the guy that gets yep. fucked over. That's just yep. trying to be nice. And uh, it, it amused me because he essentially they had a future Spider-Man playing the Harry Osborn character. <laughs> wow, that, that layers, was great ironic cast. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, he's definitely the he, he's the one you kind of yes, absolutely. Him. He seems like he's very much sort of like the yeah. Like by the end, you're definitely like rooting for him, definitely more than you are uh, Lex Luthor. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's that there's that scene towards the end. He's prog- he's progressively getting mm-hmm. more fucked over, and um, there's the scene where he freezes mm-hmm. the accounts, which in turn brings it makes Andrew Zuckerberg pay attention, <laughs> uh, makes Zuckerberg yeah. pay attention to him again, and uh, you'll notice that that guy's either the only time he's ever emotionally engaged Zuckerberg seems to be if he needs yep. something from somebody. If he doesn't need something from them, I don't even know if he realizes it, but he's basically. Like a, yep. a cipher, a robot. But there's that there's that scene where they're on the phone together. It's a very intense conversation, and in Andrew Garfield's apartment, you see like his girlfriend starting to light things on fire in the in the in the background, and it's yep. out of focus. Well, they're having this intense conversation in the foreground, and uh, it's just Fincher movie magic. But uh, and again, like it, it's it's Fincher movie magic visually, but then mashed up with like Sorkin's inability to like write a woman who's not a horribly oh, cliche yeah, yeah. of like an angry, quote unquote, crazy yeah, girlfriend. Say, right. Like, a couple of phone calls um, where they say like, man, she's crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's too bad for her. Yeah. Or on Studio 60 where he says, I'm going to write a girl, but get this. Wait, here's a twist. 
she's a Christian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but 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 she's actually funny, which we all know women aren't, right? Like it's just yeah, he's got he's got some blind spots. And then especially if you watch like a lot of his stuff all in a row, like you really start to see like I mean, you know, a lot of the Sorkinisms are pretty legendary, but then you see, you know, the the some of the recurring tricks he uses to uh, you know, write women or or you know, write them terribly. They all crop up. Was that CJ? No, no, she was she was pretty good. She did fall in the pool one time, but that you know it happens. Oh, sorry, Mark. Spoilers. <laughs> oh my God, I don't know if I can finish it now. She falls in the pool. <laughs> it's worth just because that even half the woman falls in the pool. <laughs> Ain't no half, but anybody falls in the pool. It's funny. <laughs> if we want to keep going through uh, just the the characters in this, yeah, this was the first time I think I remember seeing the uh, the giant man that is um, the Winklevi. Army Hammer. Army oh, Hammer. Right. Army Hammer. Who, I mean, I, I think, I feel like, I mean, that's got to be like one of the top three lines of the movie, right? What does he say? I'm, I'm, I'm six foot, whatever, 200 pounds. There's two of me. Yeah. Like, that's got to be like, so like that. <laughs> like, I feel, I feel like, you know, uh, a million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars yeah. is like, that's the most often quoted one just because you can sort of like mold it into, I think, more like, you know, jokey conversations. Sure. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm tall and strong and there are two of me is, uh. It's some pretty good you stuff. Know, my favorite line of theirs is just the weird gentleman of Harvard. It sounds yeah. so ridiculous. But yeah. uh, that was the first time I remember seeing them. And they, or it's them, him. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's gone on to do great stuff since. So, Has Lone he? Ranger. Look, underrated movie. <laughs> uh, the man like from the uh, UNCL. E? Very underrated movie. Yeah. I like that, I like that movie. Like yeah. Um, he's popped up in some other stuff. I've heard it's good. I've only watched the first few bits of it. He is like actually related all the time. to uh, the uh, the uh, dynasty that is Arm and Hammer. You know, oh, the baking I you were soda. Say Hammer horror. Wait, shut up! Really? Word to God! Yeah. So I'm sorry. Someone connected to this. So this is a stage name. There's no way that somebody connected to the Arm and Hammer fortune named their son army hammer correct <laughs> is this some like is this some anheuser-busch shit where just like everybody's <laughs> name has to start with an a <laughs> that's joking. wild yeah absolutely that's like is, is zuckerberg's kid is going to be named like like facebook zuckerberg like that's that's <laughs> um that's they, have, they have that one scene after they meet the treasury secretary and he shoots them down yeah. And as uh-huh. they leave, he snaps the doorknob off and says, broke a 335 year doorknob and tosses at him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. They're great. They're yeah. great for like the, the just, they're like basically the old, the old guys from Caddyshack. Uh, exactly. Chasing modern day version around. of that. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're like, yeah, they're, there's Judge Smales, but there's two of them. That's right. Um, so not really going too deep into the, to the score, the soundtrack, but uh, one thing that I heard, I think it almost was released as a promotion, not really a single. Um, was the uh, cover of um, Hall of the Mountain King. And do you remember that scene where they're doing uh, – they're rowing or crew, I think yeah. that's what it's called. It's called crew, yes. I think they're called – is it rowing crew? It's just crew. I think it's crew. Called, yeah, yeah, I think you would say the row crew, yeah. Gotcha. And um, when I first listened to the score, I was like, okay, this is probably like the walls are closing in on, um, you know, on, on Zuck, and all of a sudden it's just used for a race – for 
you know, I, I don't know. It seemed out of place for me. They're planning some shit while they're, while they're doing the race. Like there's some dialogue. Like it's, I mean, it, it, it fits the momentum of the movie. Sure. Yeah. No dialogue during that scene. But sure? it really reminded yeah. me of like, it's all, uh, just, it's all just the montage of the rowing. I thought they were having a conversation while they did. No, no just it's, a it's, montage the, it's the, the whitest rowing. thing I've ever seen. It looks oh. like the Kentucky Derby times okay. a billion. I think there's one earlier where they're in like some sort of training tub where they're in like a, uh, yeah, there are some, there are the training tub oh, scenes. Yeah. Where they're, they're, then they're no, but this scene, I just thought it worked well, Mark. Interesting. Um, it's, it's just a scene of the of the race, mm-hmm. and then it just shows a bunch of people with sweaters around their necks cheering them on. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. I've, I've discovered this is like one of my favorite. Like I love I love like sort of movie shorthand tropes, and um, I just I watched the first couple episodes of uh, uh, Jim Halpert is in the CIA, uh, whatever it's called, Jack Ryan, Jack Ryan. Um, and they show him rowing crew, and like it's just such a shorthand for like this guy is from the East Coast, went to a really good school, and is like super white yeah. and super determined. So like you show a guy rowing yeah. crew, and like that you know everything you need to know about him right there. What's the West Coast version? I don't know. Um, yeah, surfing. I don't know. I don't know. That's too. That's too low key. Um, that's way too yeah. Chill. I don't know if there's a Sacramento version. Um, oh, there was it the free free base free climbing? Not free basing. <laughs> free climbing? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe some bouldering. Some some light bouldering. Got a good crew. There's a good crew in uh, in Sacramento because we got the river. I only know that sure. because there's a aquatic center right by my house. And, and yes, you live in Gold River. Yeah. Gold River. Um, do you remember the score to uh, Clockwork Orange? I mean, not off the top of my head. But no. like, um, yeah, sure. I'm not asking you to hum a few bars again. You're on trial. But it was uh, done by Wendy Carlos, um, who did a lot of uh, Beethoven reworked on synth. And to me, that's what that whole piece sounded like. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just being. All right. nerd. I was just wondering if you're going to nerd out with me, but apparently not. <laughs> you are you are on an island, my friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> so another another good scene though, Mark, that's uh, based all around the music is when they first introduce. Also, we can talk about the Sean Parker played by uh, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, who I think does a great yep. job. Is a some people I said like some people when they speak of this movie say that he can't act, which just I think he can act just fine. Yeah, he's fine. And I think he's great for what they want him to do in this. Yeah, I think he's perfect for what they ask him to do in this. Yeah, he brings like an energy, uh, a much needed energy to the movie, also. Yeah, and 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 he is summed up so well, not the first scene, but the second scene that he's in, where they have that dinner together. Yeah, and it's all from Eduardo's point of view, and it shows there's a music montage and there's like the actions of him in slow motion, over talking with his hands, ordering more drinks, and Mm -hmm. the whole time like they cut back to Eduardo being like, "This guy was a tool." Yeah. Yeah. It was it was fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm fully bought into what Justin Timberlake was trying to do. That first introductory scene, I was like, this guy's just reading lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the rest of the film, it it worked because he played up the douchebag. Did we all? I think we've talked about it before, but we have Ed here. Did we all use Napster? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. I don't think I did. Again, I was working at a record store at the time, so why, you know, chopping at my own bottom line? But um, oh wow, yeah, I think I think I just <laughs> missed it. You were I'm, 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 a, I'm a little older than you, fool. So I think I I think I might have just missed that uh, revolution, as it were. I think I only used it when I was away at college. I think that was the only that was the only one I used. <laughs> well, after Napster, there was LimeWire. Oh, that yeah. was what I used. I yeah. didn't even use. We literally that. had this conversation on this podcast before. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember. I do remember my scumbag uh, neighbor uh, again living in Concord. Who'd have thought? Um, telling me 
like that he does he does music and could get me like could put songs on my iPod for like five cents each. And I'm like, I'm not going to hand you any piece of technology that I own, much less what was at the time a very expensive iPod that hold held, I think, upwards of 200 songs. Um, but yeah, I remember his whole thing was like, yeah, I can get I can get songs. I can get them for you. I can get them real cheap. I'm like, I don't I'm not I'm not having this conversation with you. We share a fence. That's all we share. <laughs> it was a thousand songs, but yeah, nice try. Unless it was one of the minis. <laughs> it might have been. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, a couple of conversations also in the movie that uh, that struck me as, as true to life was um, there's a lot of parts when we're getting into the it's all coming together for them. And you got Sean Parker playing things up and a lot of uh, a lot of talks about like synergy and energy. Yep. And I have to tell you that I feel like whenever there's, there's that scene where he specifically tells Andrew Garfield in, uh, Eisenberg to, to Garfield, you should be on the East, the West coast because the energy out here, I don't want you to miss it. Yep. And I'm just like, every time I've ever talked to somebody at work that has nothing to do with anything, but they just bring up, you know what? I really feel like this will be good for the synergy. Yeah. That's like, I, I just see that over and over again in this movie. And I'm not surprised that Sean Parker ends up in jail. Yeah. Because he was all flash and no substance was the whole guy's deal. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like oh, you got to be out here. You got to be out here where it's all happening. And like that usually translates to a bunch of, you know, a bunch of dudes, uh, you know, jerking each other off to, to make themselves feel important. Uh, yeah, what were they doing there? They're, they were doing the – they're swinging off of chimneys on ropes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it all, it, it, all it, it seems like a predecessor to the TV show Silicon Valley, which is a hilarious show. Oh, and just um, – is, is entirely too accurate. I mean that's uh, – Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's a lot. That's exactly what I was going to ask you, Ed. Um, in terms of kind of the, the 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 difference between what you see in the social network versus what you see on Silicon Valley, uh-huh. like I would have to say, um, so I work for another uh, huge company that works in tech, sure. and I've been on campus, and uh, I've been there for some sort of ridiculous events. Mm-hmm. Where like, uh, like T-Pain shows up out of nowhere, like T-Pain shows up at a like, 11 a.m. corporate event or something? Um, no, man, like literally uh, I saw Pharrell uh-huh. and Al Gore both dancing on stage with Tim Cook. Sure. <laughs> That's just as, as everyone does in their normal job. Sure. Yeah. No, the, and so, I, I would say with Silicon Valley, like, like not everyone is like that, but I have met at least one person like everyone on that show. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, I've, I've just gotten the wave, uh, for my in-house producer, so I may need to, uh, pop off here. Um, okay. Yeah, no, if anything, we were just about to say you're probably at time, but, uh, do you have any closing parting thoughts you'd like to share? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, once you're done with, uh, with West Wing, well, first of all, stop after the first four seasons. That's my West Wing advice. Um, and then go and watch sports night. Those are, those are my two pieces of West, uh, Sorkin advice. That's all I have. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take you. Know, I'll probably because I'm a completionist. Yeah. I want to. I'll probably do the whole yeah. set. No, wa- you'll like watch them all, but then you'll like if if you're anything like me, you'll find yourself re- revisiting the first four, but then completely ignoring anything that comes afterwards. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Ed, Ed, let me ask you a question right. before you leave. At the yeah. end of this movie, uh, oh, uh, Quincy Jones' daughter Rashida Jones. Rashida sure. Jones nice turn. One of the first things mm-hmm. I remember seeing her, and then I saw her on the uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. She says, you know, I don't think you're a bad guy. I think you're just an asshole. Oh, wait, you're not an asshole. You're just uh, trying really hard yeah. to be an asshole. And I have to ask you, what's, what is worse? Oh. Being an asshole or trying to be an asshole and failing at it? 
Oh, trying to be an asshole is definitely yeah. worse. Like it's, I mean, I, 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 um, I tweeted something to this effect uh, uh, the other day where like the, the, the years of my life I wasted pretending that like being a sarcastic prick was the same thing as like having a personality um, are just like, I can't even count the days. And so, yeah, you like, you have this Steve jobs myth of like Steve jobs was really great at what he did and like a creative genius and also an asshole. And it's like, people think that they do the asshole part first and everything else will follow and they'll be like Steve jobs. And like, that's not really how it works. It's a great answer. DC. That's that's. Uh, I knew he could give us our thesis statement. Yeah. All right. There you're you allowed. Go. You're allowed to go now. Thank Thanks you for a lot, calling Ed. in. <laughs> um, technically speaking, do I have to do anything on my end here? Or should I just like close my browser? Uh, you're done. Yeah. Thank you. You can just be like Sean Parker. You can just. You don't got to do anything. Yeah. I'm not going to smash this laptop. I literally can't afford a new one. But um, all, all right. right. Well, thanks guys. Thanks again. Ed. This has been fun. Great talking. Um, <laughs> so let's get it. Let's get into these track by tracks. All right. So. We're going to go through the social network track by track quickly. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, I wasn't awake for the ghost episode. Right. So You were not. This, uh, we're going to give this a little more attention than we gave each song on Ghost. But yeah, it's just, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know. We've, we've, we've litigated this before in the show. I don't know why it's so hard to discuss instrumental music when I, I don't know. I, I just, you can't, well, you don't have the lyric. I mean, we, we can spend... Lyric, lyrics form... Lyrics... Uh, vocals form pathways for songs to take so they get from one place to the other. A lot, especially scores like this, a lot of them just might as well be like you're, ham- you're, you're uh, a hamster running in a, a wheel. Like it cycles through the same thing like for two minutes but doesn't go anywhere. Am I making sense? I don't know here? if I agree with that, but I would. I don't think they don't go anywhere. But um, well, some of them definitely do. Usually, the ones that are over two minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I would say I, I would say the reason why it's hard is because lyrics lyrics give you a framework, and uh, and uh, without them, the song could be literally about anything. It's up to the listener, which is kind of fun. And lyrics give you, uh, you know, parameters. So, All right, well, so then... Hand Covers Bruise. Hand Covers Bruise, which is always thought was an interesting title. And I think it's a... Uh, I think it actually is well used in the movie. It's a great, great song. Yeah, it's it's kind of the motif, right? It's the, yeah. I mean, it comes up a few times. But the just the, the opening... Those opening credits where it just kind of shows Harvard and it has yeah. the soft plank games. He's walking around at night. I think yep. it, it's... Uh, very good. Yep. This is where we get that um, Swarmatron, and kind of what I was talking about. Uh, uh, well, you've got this uh, pretty. It's it's a forlorn sounding song. Uh, I'm not saying it's a happy song, but it's a pretty song. And then you have this noisy, vibrating sound that's coming up. And I think every time he uses that, this is his way of tying into the kind of theme of the movie, which is like that that uh, red. That anxiety, yeah, the anxiety, and how Mark is dealing with that anxiety, which is forcing basically forcing this asshole persona kind of thing, as we were saying. Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, no, 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 Mark, yeah, Mark (laughs) doesn't have to force anything, Mark with a K. So, yeah, I don't. Um, so anyhow, uh, this song, um, it's in the main title sequence, uh, in the film, and it's Mark Zuckerberg running across campus after his girlfriend just broke up with him at a bar. And this is where he's probably formulating the idea to get back and uh, 
do a little online revenge, so to speak. As a, if the internet didn't lie to me, apparently that wasn't even really as, like, that girl kind of just, in real life, just kind of turned him down. It wasn't as much of a dumping situation. Sure. But uh, it didn't still lead to, what was it, face mash? Barn animals? Um, Farm animals. <laughs> That's where? one of my favorite lines at the very end of this movie. He's just sitting there. Rashida Jones kind of reminds him just of everything. And he just says, farm animals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just such a... Eisenberg's great in this movie. It's such like a like an incel light kind that, of reaction. Actually, I kind of wanted the discussion we had earlier that you hear later. Yeah. I wanted to kind of get into this. Let's get yeah. into it a little bit now. This definitely does have like the whole incel thing now, which is just gross. I don't even want to say what it stands for because I find it to be just, just gross. Yeah. But that whole mentality yeah there's definitely some of that here yeah and it's just got yeah. nothing but worse you exactly know? you and owe me something you know the the fact that it's not me that's i'm not broken the world and all women are broken right and they owe me that's, that's just disgusting but we do get a great song out of him creating face mash which is in motion in motion which, which is uh used it's a fun it's a Yeah, it's a great little techno dance song. I love this song, but it cuts back and forth between uh, scenes where the song fits perfectly, which is like parties, like college parties, uh, party van, you know, all this kind of stuff to um, Mark and his coding friends, like doing antisocial shit at home. And it's it's a cool juxtaposition. It's a good song. It's a great montage, which there are a few of them. And yeah, it has that pulsating beat. Yeah. But uh, the, you know how he uses the, the cat on the keyboard reference yeah. for some songs? Yeah. It sounds like the cat's jumping on the uh, the mood or the synth. Yeah, yeah. And, and we get a little bit, parts. we get a little bit of that, that decay that creeps up in almost every song on here. Probably the Swarmatron, maybe another another noisy device he's using. There's but, just some great, you know, there, there are some great moments on this um, soundtrack where whatever chaos is going on in the foreground, there's like an over ever-present, overwhelming, very consolidated either synth or piano line that, like, rides over everything. In this one, there's you've got that beat, but then you still got the doom, doom. Yeah. Doom, doom, doom. And I just, I, I love it. And some of that stuff leads into some of the more John Carpenter vibes. That you right. Get. Yeah. This song, uh, for me, it, like, it does sound like data being transmitted. Um, and it also reminds me of some of those old, um, like ITT tech commercials (laughs) where like, get the skills for tomorrow. Yeah. Definitely. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's got like kind of those eight bit sounds that, uh, devolve like at the end. We get that a little bit later. Like that straight. Yeah. That straight sounds up like a Nintendo soundtrack a little bit later. Yeah. But yeah, this, yeah. But I do like this song quite a bit and I like how it's used in the movie. Me I too. think that it's, it's definitely a top five track off this album. For, for me. sure. Yeah. Um, I put three pluses. Yeah. Next to this it's song. a great song. It's, it's I took Mark's, ones, it's, Mark, Mark puts pluses by the song titles and I took, I, I noticed that when we were doing ghosts and I, really? oh, I took, funny. I took it on yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in motion, it definitely, could make its way into like a Nine Inch Nails mixtape. I think it's that good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the title in motion is a great title for the way it sounds. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So Eric, I'll let you take point on this, a familiar taste. Yeah. I don't know my, I don't understand my, so one thing I love about this, this podcast project is when it gets down to me taking notes, now I have a ritual. Lennox who loves my son, 
loves categorizing things. He loves looking, doing research online. He he goes on nin.wiki and he while we're listening to it and I'm taking notes, he tells me fun, interesting facts and uh, and everything. So we kind of we kind of have a little back and forth. That being said, I do not know what my notes mean on this one. Ghosts. Good noise swirls. <laughs> is this one from Ghosts, Smart? Or it sounds like it could be from Ghosts. Yeah. It, I think a familiar taste is from yeah, Ghosts. Yeah. It's from 35. Right. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, it's a manipulation. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that was a familiar taste. All right. So this one, yeah. The. That's total ghosts. The drums fit into the, um, the year zero pastiche. Some of the same, uh, some of the same uh, pads that he used in in that one too. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. That, this has definitely got some some crimson s squelching Robin Fink. Is that Robin Fink on this song? No, I think this is all Trent. Trent Atticus. Well, he's channeling yeah. his buddy Robin on this one. Yeah, it's a pretty good track. Um, Although if it was on Ghosts, it could have been. I don't remember it, where it, it is. It could have been uh, the guy from King Crimson. If it was uh, if it was from Ghosts. It, Adrian Blue, yeah, it could have been, yeah, yeah, because he was all over that, that like album. the manipulation, because the the guitar work absolutely sounds like some of his stuff, like that yeah. screeching, scr- right. uh, like yeah, yeah scronking guitar. So yeah, it, it absolutely could be. Um, the next one is it catches up with you, um, which in my notes it was a, just a sad piano uh, with drones. Yep. Um, I can't remember where this falls in the movie. Um, the drones never let up. It's like, it's pretty much like an oppressive, it's like that. What I keep saying is like, I think it's supposed to represent anxiety and it's like that. Well, yeah, no, this one, but this one, this is the doom, 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 doom. Isn't that one? I believe so. And uh, slightly, uh, this was also titled cocksucker, um, on the Sony pictures (laughs) website. So we will reference that a few times is that they, when they, they re-released this for your consideration, which was what they sent to the Academy. Um, and there was some song title changes on that. Yeah. This yeah. song, though. What's the next track? Next track is your favorite track, Intriguing Possibilities. Yes, this song leads perfectly into Intriguing Possibilities. Yeah. Which, Intriguing Possibilities, I don't think this is much of a hot take. I put it in my top 29 Chanel's-related songs of all time. It is really good. I think it's an incredible song. This is one of my highest rated yeah. on this let's, one, too. Let's hear a yeah. little bit of yeah. that one right now. So, Intriguing Possibilities, of which I think is another montage of maybe some kind of coding, which that is kind of lame. You can say about half this movie. Um, and I, I gotta be honest, in my last watch of this movie this weekend, I wish that they would show the song titles when they pop up in the, the movie. I think that's how well they tie into the movie. Yeah. Um, intriguing Possibilities, though, the last minute or so is incredible to me. It has. This is very much a John Carpenter synth song. Like there's parts where someone. It sounds like someone's leaning on the synth board and forgot to get up. But you've got the those wall synths at the end, and you've got the do 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 that little little eight bit melody above it, and you think it's done with, but then they manage to put it through some kind of filter or something. And the last, like, ten seconds of the song has this just wall of, Mark just mentioned, Legend of Zelda, just blast against you. And it's right up there with any of my favorite Night's Nails songs that have an epic finish. 
Like it's up there with some of those last tracks off of With Teeth, for example. Um, and that's just the last minute. The start of it is a uh, another song where it sounds like Mark mentioned data being transferred. You can like basically hear like keys typing in the background. Yeah, it's like percolating synths. And the bass actually the that that anxiety sound in this song is done through the bass. The bass is on this decay the whole time, which is great. Yeah, it's 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 a fantastic song, and yeah, it 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 climaxes and then kind of fades out with Mario getting a bunch of coins. I I would love for them to play this song live. You know, they have played one song from this album live. Guess which one? Uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King or whatever? Hand, uh, hand Covers Bruce. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. that as the opening track. Yeah. When was that era? It was, uh, it was done in Tokyo um, on one of their shows. Um, it was probably during the 2012. How do you feel about Intriguing Possibilities, Mark? I love it. I you think always correct me when I get the title wrong, which I do for a guy who loves the song so much. But. Um, no, it's it's great. Um, I, I absolutely am a fan of this particular track. Um, uh, it, this, to me, is exactly what I expected from having Trent Reznor do a mm-hmm. score. Um, very synth-based, very catchy, um, ominous, but okay. still having a sense of melody. And the notes, it's... it's, it's it sounds like a Nine Inch Nails it does. scale. Like he's yeah. using the he's using some of his tried and true uh, key key signatures right there. Because um, as uh, you know, as I also mentioned in our later conversation with our very special guest, um, I had the score before I saw the movie. So when I was listening to the sco- uh, to the music and I was listening to this particular track, I was trying to place like how it could fit in context. Um, I mean, it sounded like this is obviously a movie around the internet and technology and all of that because you could you could absolutely get that sense. But um, yeah, no, I love this track; it's great. <clears throat> and I think it uh, it leads. Uh, by the way, speaking of which, this track, some of the synths in this track remind me, like a lot of the parts in this album, like I mentioned before, of John Carpenter. Any listeners that have not that, that like anything on this soundtrack. Do yourself a favor and listen to some of John Carpenter's uh, solo albums. The Lost the Lost Songs? Or lost Themes. Lost Themes. There's Lost Themes 1 and 2, and then actually the remix album is good. And any of that, it's just... That guy knows what he's doing when it comes to... I mean, he made the, he made the theme song to Halloween, which Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross covered. You know, yeah. He's a... Yeah, his, great, his great scores great, are great fantastic. Scores. Um, but I'm telling, I'm telling most people something they already know. But in case they don't, check out his solo work. Yeah. Uh, this leads right into another great song, Painted Sun and Abstract, and I love that title. Um, it's a bouncy little ditty. Yeah, so this must have been something... Where did he piano. get the title for this song? Is it, There must have been like a painting in a scene that it was used or something. You know, I'm not true, uh, too sure, but I know that the uh, For Your Consideration had this title as Does She Have a Boyfriend? Uh, okay. Um, I don't know, but it is an optimistic little ditty. Yeah, uh, it has an oscillating synth sound with an ambient soundscape underneath, and then it does have that kind of like uh, major key optimistic piano. Yeah, you know what that that piano is uh, is actually it's an organ sound. I don't know if it's a Wurlitzer, but it's like it's basically the organ that the Beastie Boys use on all their funk tracks. Ah, but it's a great sound. I those love those are that. my favorite Beastie Boys yeah. songs. Yeah, it's check great, your head. The best Beastie yeah. Boys album. <laughs> It's a great little, yeah, it's a great little sound. And, yeah. And I've never heard Trent use that, 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 that particular sound before. And it's great. The, the part I like in this is the, the minor plucks, the boom, boom, yeah, boom, then, boom, 
the guitar work is sparse on this album, but when it comes in, it's great. It's perfectly, it punctuates whatever's happening. Yeah. And so that goes into the next track, which is 314 Every Night, um, which uh, I think this uh, track comes around the time when uh, the Winkle Vi and uh, their their partner um, realized that Zucker realized that Zuckerberg uh, potentially stole their idea for um, their Facebook type idea. I think it was called the Harvard Connection. I think it was Harvard Connection. Harvard Connection, which was essentially a social media website that had uh, every individual fraternity house seemed to have their own Facebook. And that's what Mark Zuckerberg hacked and then went and create this whole university type um, brought brought down the network. Brought down the network. I love that scene where um. No, this has. Now I might be. Forgive me. I, I like. I, I rewatched this movie in, in, in three different parts the last few month or so. But I want to say that this leads to one of those great when they're discussing this happening in the courtroom later. Um. Somebody asks if uh, if they have his full attention and he says he says you want me to be honest uh you have you have part of my attention you have the minimum amount and it's just a it's a fantastic just bit of snidery from him yeah um, yeah and and just everybody in there just like acts like jesus christ this fucking guy uh and that just reminds me also of another line that the winklevoss are like this fucking guy later when they're discussing how to deal with him mm-hmm. <laughs> they say uh you know, they're like, well, you should fucking take this prick down. And they're like, well, you can't just take him down. That'll look like we're the uh, we're in karate suits cha- or we're in skeleton suits chasing the karate kid around a high school gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect. Very meta reference. Yeah. Um, what I th- uh, what I think about the song is um, there's a sound in the background that sounds like pitter patter of rain on a roof. Yeah. Um, to me, it sounded like insects crawling. Yeah. And this is I mean, production. Yep. And yeah. this is like, I mean, we've, we've referenced it many times, but ever since the downward spiral, um, you know, Trent's got a lot of, uh, got added so much to his songs by just finding something, some random noise to sample and repeat over and over in the background that adds like so much layers. And it's just why I love, why I love his music. Yeah. And it is, it's perfect in this song. Yeah. No, his ability, this album, this, this album, the soundtrack, it does definitely sum up that the guy can just put constant noise in the background and then put beautiful melodies on top of it. And that's basically yeah. the nails. That's, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what's next? What's next in the dock there, buddy? Um, the next track is called pieces form the whole. Um, and this one is kind of more of a traditional sound. Um, it actually does sound like kind of a, uh, a band performing, um, has a ramped up groove with a tambourine, an 8-bit sound synth with a melody line, and each instrument builds to the other. Um, If you'd like, we could take a little bit of a listen. Let's take a snippet. This is the one that had that organ from Beastie Boys, by the way. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Pieces form the whole. Okay. So Eric is wrong, and only because Eric, I would have never noticed. This is the track that has the Beastie Boys. That's right. Okay. That's right. It's a great track. I would love a whole album of something like this from the uh, T and the Boys. Um, It's got... It's got... That Beastie Boys uh, synth move was that something like that? It's like a move, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got that dun 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 dun, dun, dun like they're dropping like 
they're dropping something on some strings in the background. Right. And then on top of that, you get some Mario keyboards. Right. You definitely get some Mario keyboards. Which is the best shorthand for so many of these keyboards. Yeah. And then there's some weird noise. It's some mix between like a ghetto flute and a theremin. And it's got that. I mean, this is about as groovy as Trent ever gets. This is a great great song. Yeah. I do enjoy pieces uh, form the whole. Um, An alternate version on this. It was titled Family of Means. Um, again, I... Uh, I imagine it comes comes back to rich people at Harvard yelling. Maybe this was right. the Winklevoss's party, house party or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. They, maybe they're talking about uh, Eduardo. Coming oh, yeah, from, it could be. You know, yeah. Poor Eduardo, the rich kid who just gave friends money to make them his friends. That's right. So the next track is titled Carbon Prevails. Um... This one, uh, my notes are, it has like a Morse code sound with distorted synth. It's seemingly answering with the melody. Um, the synth bass line starts to bubble underneath. Um, if you guys want to yeah. listen to a little bit of that, you want to hear, sure, let's hear a little bit of Carbon Prevails. Let's hear a little bit of Carbon Prevails. So, Carbon Prevails is basically, uh, Mark and I just, uh, it's like two robots talking to each other. Yep, you have the Morse code, me, 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 and then you have the big fuzzy synth. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, 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 it's like the Muppets. Yeah, Mark, what band did you just compare it to? Uh, Fever Ray. It kind of sounded like a Fever Ray. Type it could be song. a Fever Ray song. Yeah, Fever I, Ray. Especially that beginning. I just wrote on my notes some real nin shit here. Like this is like the sound, the sound palette just just brings me back to what I would envision a, a classic uh, Nine Inch Nails like pre-programmed synth pad to sound like. I don't know if Fever Ray are friends of the show, but we definitely pass each other when we're going down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next track would be Eventually We Find Our Way. Um, for me, this had like uh, scary synth tracks or scratches. Uh, it, it reminded me of like driving through the woods during the dark. Yeah. It's unsettling with anxiety. It goes into a, more of a calmer atmosphere. For this is, uh, there's not much to say. I mean, it's literally... Drones over drones over drones. If you turn le- if you turn left on that road, Mark's talking about you get you drive right into the girl with the dragon cry- tattoo. Right. right, it's a ton of drones, and then it all kind of decays into gu- guitar and piano that that kind of drives us out. But that's 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 the song. Yeah, um, going into it goes penetration. Into, penetration is the next track, um, or the alternate title is Trip to New York, which actually paints a clearer picture because we remember that part of the movie yes and they go to a trip to New York and who do they talk to do they talk to um, Aaron Sorkin they do exactly he's for an ad agency yeah Yeah. Yeah. little cameo by the writer of this movie Aaron Sorkin yeah and apparently um, David Fincher was like I want you in that scene and Aaron Sorkin was like "Uh, good and he was like no 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 you gotta be in that scene for some reason this asshole needs to be you yeah um, so this has alternating uh, piano tones. It's very still reminiscent, and it builds to more of an ominous atmosphere. Um, the anxiety slash uh, Swarmatron creeping uh, foreboding thing is definitely present in the song. Yeah. Um, and it goes into a cover version. This is not an original composition. This was originally done by a, a Norwegian composer, uh, Edvard Grieg. Um, it was uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, um, and uh, of course Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross reinterpreted this. Um, 
And this was what was made available at the end of an interview um, with Fincher and Resner on Pitchfork.com. And I think this is the first thing that I heard from the social network score. I've got a bit to say on this. Can we listen to a little bit? Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of In the Hall of the Mountain King. All right. So In the Hall of the Mountain King, uh, we've heard this song before many times. This song um, brings me back to a little Stephen King movie called Needful Things. Whenever I hear this song, all I think of is mischief. There's a great yeah. montage. The yep. Needful Things movie is not good, but there is a montage of that movie where this guy, uh, Max von Sydow, has been manipulating the town for so long, and then all it all kind of comes to a head in a big climax where they're all basically setting up each other's murders and, and vandalism and all sorts of stuff in this song is playing. And so, like... <laughs> Even if I'm just like tiptoeing to sneak a cookie from the cookie jar, I'm humming this this song. I mean, this song is mischief. Um, Mark, uh, you uh, you kind of don't think this fits very well in the movie, or it's kind of weird how it does. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, as you just indicated, that it seems like either mischief. Um, so this uh, piece, this composition, actually holds a little bit of nostalgia for me. I remember listening to this when I was young in music class in elementary school, and I remember the music teacher explaining uh, the story that goes beyond that. That this whole music uh, invokes. It's about you know. Uh, this adventure that goes into, uh, I don't know if he's trying to save the princess or whatever it is, um, or defeat the goblin King. But as he's going up into the mountain, there's like goblins that are attacking him. And so in my mind, it, it has the invocation of, uh, just, it's like epic. Are, it's an epic things are heightened yeah. as he goes further and climax further, and of, further of the into action. the mountain. Yeah. Um, it gets more and more overwhelming it, as it builds and builds and builds. As Steve would say, it has rising action. Um, and so when I first listened to this piece I th- or the Trent Reznor reinterpretation, I really thought that it was going to be of Mark Zuckerberg really trying to um, uh, come face to face with things were going to be overwhelming for him. All that he's done um, is now going to come either crashing around him, whether that's the relationships that he's destroyed in order to get what he wants or just something like shit was going to hit the fan. And in the film, um, when I, when I saw it, it was uh, the rowing competition that um, the Winklevi uh, were, were competing against. And, to me, it it seemed to be out of place. It's not to say that I didn't enjoy that scene, but I was like, that's not what I the scene that I had in my mind of where what this music was all about. Um, it's not a bad reinterpretation. I enjoy it, but for how it works in the film, I thought it was a little a little cheesy and a little out of place. So. We'll get to the, what we think of the song itself in a minute. I'll just offer a counterpoint to that. Um, counterpoint. Uh, <laughs> Crossfire. So <laughs> you have the song, um, and it, you're right. It's at a scene where it's basically just a rowing competition with the Winklevi. Um, but, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, okay, to oversimplify the movie, we'll say that they're the antagonists, Okay. To oversimplify the movie. Obviously, Mark's his own antagonist. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But to oversimplify the movie, they're the antagonists. Um, this scene is them rowing, angry faces. It is 
pure power, not just in physical strength, but also, I mean, it is white. <laughs> it is very white. They have the power of, um, uh, you know, just uh, the rich East Coast uh, white, um, like powerful family ingrained in the culture. Um, and this is the force that's going to be trying to take um, our, quote, hero down. It's a subtle scene. Um, and, and, and also using a uh, very Anglo composer uh, and, and one of the more notable songs. Um, I don't know. I think, I think there was a point to this scene and it was just to show without any dialogue, without any, anything too specific kind of what, uh, what marks up against. It's interesting that you would say that there would be from, to simplify it, to be the antagonist. I mean, you're right. I, uh, as I guess from the perspective from Mark Zuckerberg, yes, you're hundred percent accurate on that, but I don't know if that's, I guess that's the perspective the audience is supposed to take as well. No, I don't yeah, think no, they're, they're not. I mean, they are antagonists, but at the same time, they're just people that Mark is fucking over. Exactly. Like they didn't, they didn't yeah. sit out to fuck over Mark Zuckerberg. They tried to make right. a partnership. Exactly. And then they get pissed off when it spirals out of control right. and he, right. he takes them for a ride. We're not, I, and we're not, I mean, like I said, I, I referenced this many times. It's uh, the movie is a bit of a slobs versus snobs and they're the snobs and, but, um, but they're all snobs. Right. Uh, Yes, they're not the antagonists of the movie, but from Mark's perspective, they are. Yes, no, and so this is there. one scene of them in their full power. Like this is just a, a, just one embodiment. But of they their still full power. come in second place. But after rewatching the movie, um, I mean, I I feel like uh, without them even introducing the concept of what Facebook could be uh, as the Harvard connection. Um, he was already against them because they were tall, athletic, mm-hmm. popular. They were already members of that Phoenix club. As they're going to say, it all comes back at the very end. Remember, Eduardo. Eduardo calls him out on it at the very end, and we don't have to do any of We're not doing any of this linearly. Yeah. Eduardo, like, you do wonder at the end of the movie, he's like, holy shit, you did a lot of this stuff to fuck me over because of the, you, I got into the Phoenix club. Exactly. And you wonder, like, the guy, the guy is, he, he would probably actually be a great poker player. Mm-hmm. Because he only shows emotion when he needs something or when he's under extreme duress. But uh, I, I just, it definitely does come back to like his, the movie version of Zuckerberg is basically a, a class warrior, but he's already like upper class. Right. He's a class warrior among the upper class. Yeah. Yeah. Still, this song is great. Oh, I think I love it. It, I, this is an amazing re, uh, reinterpretation. I could go. I would love a whole album of shit like this. Yeah. Classical reinterpretations yeah. by these two would be awesome. Oh god, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, they do a great job. It's uh, it starts off very quiet. It builds, and then that that noisy drum stuff kicks in at the end, and a bunch of like just scattered, almost like records being played backwards of the of the main melody at the end. The noisy. Uh, cacophony is this reinterpretation just shows how talented these two guys are yeah it's just it, this there's so much going on in this one little bit of classical music we've heard so many times redone especially when it breaks down at the end yeah it's, yeah uh, it's very it gets very frenetic yeah the beats per minute start to speed up that part um, where it goes dun 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 and it sounds like it's being played backwards a little and it yeah. has that final blast yeah. it's just something yeah I mean, uh, were you guys fans of the original composition? By oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Like I said, I, I link music. it to more movies when it's come up, but it's a, it's a wonderful song. Oh, yeah, yeah it's so I good. love that. Yeah. 
So that goes into the next track, which is On We March. Uh, Steve, what do you feel about this one? This is, um, some of these, these songs are hard to place in the, back where they were in the movie. Um, when you're not just watching, having, you'd have to just watch the movie to remember some of them. But this, I remember very specifically, this piece of music is used very specifically in the scene where there's a very intense conversation going on between Zuckerberg and Eduardo. And Eduardo... <laughs> And Zuckerberg have, are having a falling out, and meanwhile, he's Eduardo's also having a falling out with his girlfriend at the same time in his apartment, um, and it's just done very well. Yeah. Uh, this is the scene where she lights something. Up. She lights. Uh, she lights something on fire in the it's background. Yeah. yeah. And then in the foreground, you're having their conversation, and it's one of those like um, Fincher is so good at making there. There's some cool things going on in this this scene. But he's so good at making like the mundane seem awesome. Like the way, for example, when you first see Seth uh, Parker in the girl's apartment and right. she's hopping in and out of the shower to talk to him, the way he films just her jumping out of the shower to talk to him again, it's the boring thing. She's leaning out of the shower to talk to him in the other room. Yeah. But it looks really dynamic. Yeah. And he does that same kind of thing here with her lighting something on fire in the background. Well, he's just having a phone call on the foreground. It's uh, incredible. Right. Well, obviously, the most exciting part of that is the fire, but that's like hidden in the focus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. just, uh, yeah. So on we march. Um, what do your guys' notes say as far as the sound goes? Oh, I said I, it sounds like he's got some, like, he pulled up his uh, his sounds from the Wretched on this one. Like the bass. Yes. It sounds like Wretched bass. Yeah. yeah. Bassy synths. Piano is more on the high end. Um, a drum machine with kind of a fizzy feel is what I, I said. You know, when you're describing um, instrumental music, I do try to make it as descriptive as possible. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's a good one. And then that goes into the next track, which is uh, Magnetic. Ghosts 14. Ghosts 14. And this is actually um, from the Ghosts episode. Uh, this is one of my standout tracks from Ghosts and have it sort of manipulated and reinterpreted for this. This was during the... Um, dinner scene yes. with uh, Justin Timberlake and Sean Parker, uh, the founder of Napster, um, meeting with uh, Mark Zuckerberg um, and meeting with Eduardo and, and uh, they're the girls. Cynthia, One of their, Christina and the other. Right? Yeah. I don't know if they name the other girl. If they, I'm, you know they do, but she never comes back. Um, yeah. yeah. And all of this whole uh, dinner was told from the perspective of, of Eduardo because he was giving his despo- uh, deposition. Right. Um, and uh, it was actually one of my favorite scenes. It's a great scene. Oh, it's a great scene. It's it sums up everything you need to know about scene. Seth Parker. Yeah. And um, it does remind me that this soundtrack isn't really totally in order because that scene happened before the scene we were just talking right. about. Right. Um, uh, it's great. It, it, what's cool, we talked about this in the Ghost episode, but what's cool about this song is I just love... This this is a throwback to the swamp industrial fragile area with the buzzing frets mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, I love it yeah it's a and it's it's got such a drive I like it song. too because yeah so he says it was a shawnathon and then it cuts to that song and yeah. the song's in the forefront of everything yeah it's the only thing I think you hear yeah you don't while you're watching him yep. like order more drinks and uh, be like it, it's great because. You see Andrew or Andrew Garfield looking like this guy is so fucking annoying, but at the same time, they show like Zuckerberg's like nodding and he's like, "Yes, I get it. What you're saying, that's it, and it's perfect with the music." Zuckerberg was easily drawn into his world here. Yeah, and I, yeah. I love the, the one the you know the the line I like at the end. I don't. 
they're walking away and, and Zuckerberg's like, oh, what'd you think, Eduardo? And he's like, ah, I don't know about this guy. And uh, Zuckerberg says something like, you know what? You want to end our party at 11. And I was like, oh, that's, he's totally, that's when I knew that the Seth Parker totally sucks Zuckerberg in because he's like already turned on Eduardo yeah. like that. Yeah. This scene also has one of the most quotable memes uh, in terms of what people go back to, you know, what is cool. Um, and it, it not million dollars isn't cool, but you know what is cool? A billion dollars. Yeah, sure. Um, and then he also recommended dropping the from Facebook instead of the Facebook. Um, the but, amount of energy that, that Seth Parker looks to expend to try to look cool. Sean, just, Sean Parker. Sean Parker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just looks exhausting. Yeah. Like I feel like every time he like gets a chance to get away from everybody, he like slumps down. He's like, all right, I pulled it off again. Like, I really know that I don't feel like he buys the shit he's selling. Like, I think he knows he's a fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I love this track. Uh, it's a very dynamic track. It's got a lot of layers. Uh, it's got that swamp industrial sound. Yeah. Um, I love this song. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Swamp industrial. The next track would be almost home. Um, this, I remember it's just mostly piano. It's very contemplative, has a lot of ambience. Um, right. It's a transition song. It's a transition song. Yeah. Yeah. It gets us back to our main motif. Um, so not much to be said unless you have anything. Let's transition yeah. right in the hand yeah. covered bruise reprise. <laughs> yep. <laughs> same and great, same great taste. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one, this one is, uh, is it shorter? It's a little shorter. Yeah. yeah. And more um, droney. Yeah. I mean, it's just a short little re- reprise, reprise, however you want to tomato, tomato it. Um, and then the next track after that is complication with optimistic outcome. Um, it, like the title says, it sounds a little optimistic synth. Everything's going to work out, uh, kind of feeling, uh, with a little ambient drone. Um, I don't know guys, what what do you have to say? What I thought was interesting is to kind of compare this to what I was talking about earlier, where there's like this this corruption that and decay sound um, that takes over a lot of the songs. Well, in this song, the um, the droning actually has a major key. It's actually like that's the bright sound in the song, and it's the the other instrumentation that's in the minor key, which is just kind of interesting. They kind of flipped it. So, like the main song is the pretty. The, the main Flip song isn't pretty. The drone song is the pretty. Or the drone part is the pretty. The pretty part of the song, while the main instrumentation is the is the more depressing. So just one, of the, one thing I thought was interesting about this one. Yeah. Uh, the next track, um, which... This uh, could be the thesis for the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, totally this title is. is fun. It's uh, The Gentle Hum of Anxiety. And if uh, you're a human being that has to deal with stress, you've also probably had to deal with anxiety from time to time. And sometimes anxiety absolutely has kind of this hum that vibrates through your brain. Yeah, and I think that planted the seed for me and what I was like listening for when I, when I heard this is like, no matter where the songs go, there's that, that sound of decay. And that's that anxiety that Trent was trying to bring into every song. It's just it, when you're Mark, when you're anybody that deals with anxiety like that, it's always there no matter what. Let's revisit this song. And so let's take a little, little bit of a little sample of gentle hum of anxiety. Go ahead. So, uh, to jump back a second, uh, the last track we were listening to, which was, um, What's that title? Complication with optimistic outcome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was looking at something shiny. Uh, I love that song. I, it definitely is in the top three of this album for me. I, 
That song, the way it's another, I love this term that Mark has, a data transfer songs. And uh, I love it when there's data transfer and then there's the, the plinking above it. And I think that that track would be a perfect song to see live with just Reznor and Ross going, going apeshit on the, the synths like face to face. It'd like be, a craft work concert. Exactly like a craft. That's exactly <laughs> what I want out of them. I will. I take. Sign me up. So that's great. And then the gentle hum of anxiety. Yes, sounds exactly like me. No. As dynamic as the last track is, this one's like you fell off the boat. You're sinking. Yeah, it's very psychologically suspenseful music. It's like yeah, um, you're realizing that something is not quite right with that neighbor that uh, lives across the way. It's probably, is, is this the, where they totally, f- I believe this is the scene where Eduardo goes to the Facebook office and uh, he learns that they basically get him down to 0.3 of a share and he gets kicked out. And uh, on the way out the door, he tells, uh, he tells Justin Timberlake what he really thinks of him. And he acts like he's going to punch him. And then Justin Timberlake flinches That's and really he says, cool you know scene. what? I like you. Yeah. Because you make me feel tough. Yeah. And uh, yeah. even though he lost the war, he wins a battle right there. <laughs> totally demasculates him. And uh, later things don't work out too well for for him because uh, true to life, some scandal with an intern happens and uh, he has to leave the company. And I Googled that this afternoon and it definitely, uh, he definitely was at a party with a, probably like an 18 year old or something. Mm, wow. And uh, got busted with Coke. Maybe 18. I don't know about that, but I know that she was younger than she should be. And, uh, so that scene in the movie, uh, that scene in the movie, something that's a, that's a real event that they, uh, they gussied up and he left and he left the, the company right after that. Wow. That's wild. Ah, oh, Sean, keep it in your pants, pal. Uh, so soft trees break the fall. Soft trees break the fall. It's, uh, kind of got like for me, uh, how I categorized it was like a Japanese piano melody. Um, I mean, it's not, but that's just the image that I can see where you're going. I, I totally yeah. see yeah. that. It's kind of like a, it's, it's pretty, but it kind of forlorn and, and, and simple. Um, there's some journey since the anxiety is still with us all the way to the end. I do love that title though. Yeah, I mean, it is a good it's title. Very descriptive. It fits in with the hand covered bruise. Yeah. Um, it's not how the movie ends. The movie ends with the like that classic '60s track that talks about not the Marilyn Manson one being part of the beautiful people. As he sits there and he refreshes after he sends Erica a, a friend invite. That's right. And you know, That's it's right. such a like, it's such a it's such a great scene, such a lame thing to think, it's such a mundane thing. But again, Fincher makes something as stupid as waiting for a friend request to get accepted. They look great. Um, well, it just kind of goes back to that. Did he do all of this just to impress this this woman, or to get back at her? You know? I know. Yeah, you don't know, but you know, much like somebody we had to hear about every day, you do get the impression that if he gets slighted, the difference between him and the person we hear about every day is if he gets slighted, he'll internalize it, won't react in the moment, and then do whatever he has to do to get his revenge later. Yeah, you know. <laughs> It was uh, funny because last year, before um, really things came to light about how Facebook was handling its business, 
uh, people in, in Mark Zuckerberg was going around the the country oh, and yeah. like going into like the breadbasket of America, and people were like, "Sure, looks like he's going to be running for president." It doesn't seem like that anymore, no, does no, it? No, I know. <laughs> no. Oh. Um. So that wraps up the the score. Um. So, Stephen. Um. Well, let's give our ratings. So, Stephen, what did you think of the score? How, oh well. How, how many nails? Would uh, you well, grading on the nails against the other albums. I mean, it's it's complicated because I don't put I don't pull this out and put it on nearly as much as I'm going to like you know the fragile, or even you know I, I will listen to it more than I listen to fixed. But um, yeah. no, I think it's a great score for what it's supposed to be doing. I think it's great. I think in the total, uh, the Resner discography overall, I think it's also like a high watermark because it was something new. And I think you can almost put it on as an album in itself, aside from knowing it's a score. Um, I think it's really good. Um, A 6.75. All right. How about you, Eric? Uh, I think if I'm putting it against scores in general, I would be giving it an eight out of nine, mm. but I think uh, comparing it to Nine Inch Nails albums, I'm going to give it a seven point five out of nine. And I and I uh, yeah, I this this kind of took over my life for the last three weeks with all my studying, and I think it helped. I <laughs> it put me in a good brain place to learn, so it's good, good stuff. I would put this at a six. Uh, six out of nine, um, just in comparison with all the other Nine Inch Nails releases in terms of his score work. Um, and I can measure it against those now, but at the time I was like, that oh, was good. Um, but I didn't really reach for it every time that I had a, a feeling to listen to anything that was kind of more soft from Trent Reznor. It's clearly not a Nine Inch Nails record. Uh, it clearly is its own little thing. Um, I am very, I was super excited. The fact that he got an Oscar for it, uh, just that recognition is always nice as just from a fan standpoint, um, get a little bit of validation in some of the artists that you really love and follow. Um, having him being recognized on a wide scale, uh, on a mainstream audience. I, that was more what I took out of this record. I loved it. Um, in that sense, I think it is probably his best score work. I'd agree. Um, I don't ever, I don't even know if I've listened to the other ones all the way through. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Listeners. Um, by but, uh, just, and your listeners, uh, definitely just want you to know, we're not going to be going this in depth on the other ones. No, we don't yeah, have the, we don't have the patience, yeah. nor do you got to set some boundaries. It's yeah. a little too much content <laughs> to, to go through all that. I mean, we'll probably just have one power episode of where we talk yeah. about the Plus, scores you, you and soundtracks. Want us to get to the next album. Right. So, yeah. Um, our next episode that we will talk about how to destroy angels track by track. Cause it, it all is of a, it. it's a, all 2.5 albums of it. Transition <laughs> period for, no, I think they did two albums and EP or one, uh, album, one album, two EPs. Oh, that's, that's we can yeah. do that. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, and I'm some looking... of those EPs just repeat what was on the full length. Okay. Um, so it's like the, uh, the old yeah. singles where yeah. it was just the same song over and, and over again. Steve, there was one soundtracks, uh, non, uh, different soundtracks. Hold on before you go there. Oh, I do want to say that the fun thing about, um, oh. how to Detroit oh, destroy right. angels that I'm looking forward to. Is I think that all three of us are pretty not versed very much in it. Yeah. 
Like I think you've listened to it more than I have, probably Mark. But yeah, probably like maybe a handful of times. Yeah, like I, I, I think I've done gonna, one one time through. It's my, gonna be myself. a big I'm new excited. experience. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm still kicking myself years later. I've mentioned this before that my last few five years of living in the first half of living in San Francisco, I was excited about everything. The second half, I was just over it. And I lived four blocks away from a, a theater called or a, a venue called the Regency. And artists started going there that I always want to see, but I was like, I don't want to go to a show, blah, blah, blah. I got a kid in the way. Duh, 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 duh. And I heard of a, a Nine Chanel side project coming through with Trent Reznor. Totally could have just gotten in for like a $20 ticket, and I didn't go. And it was How to Destroy Angels' first tour. Yeah. No, I remember you telling me about little, that. Little bummed that I, I, I was that lazy then. And night, I didn't but. want to make a two-hour drive for it, so. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to make a t- fucking 10-minute walk. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Shame. Yeah. Anyhow, well, that'll Eric, be that'll be a fun one. I'm excited. You were saying yes. Uh, oh yeah, there, there was just one more like rarity from this era, which was a Japanese film called Tetsui the Bullet Tetsuo. Man. I think it was Tetsuo, Tetsuo the Bullet Man. Yeah. Tetsuo yeah. the Bullet Man. Uh, Trent Reznor did the or did was it Nine Inch Nails? I think it was Trent Reznor. It was Trent Reznor. Yeah, it was did, the most industrial the thing that they put out. He put out in ages. It's just oh god, a, it's so good. A grinding, loud, awesome song. Yeah, with some jazzy. I mean, there's some jazzy elements to it. There's some horns. There's some strings. Uh, there's yeah, it's good. It's really really good. Seek it out. So, two things I wanted to say. One more thing about this. I cannot stand it when people try to say that him. And Michael Sarah are interchangeable. Oh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah. There is no way that you could have put Michael Sarah in this movie. No, it would have been laughable. No, it would have ended up like Silicon Valley. Yeah, the darkest thing that he's ever done, Will, Michael Sarah, is Wally Brando in Twin Peaks. <laughs> That's the darkest he's ever gone. <laughs> I like um, Michael Sarah, but he does have a. No, yeah, I do he too, has a he has a narrower. Uh, uh, Just because yeah. they're gawky about the same age and stutter doesn't mean that they're the same person, right? But I could see Michael Sarah in the uh, Now You See Me movies. As <laughs> <laughs> could I. Forgot about those. Oh, my goodness. Never seen them. Um, good? Do yourself a favor, man. <laughs> hey, did you guys ever... Can I... Can I... I'm going to spoil a movie. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. I'm spoiling a movie. Dear listeners, I'm spoiling a movie you may not have seen. I'm going to spoil the Venom movie. Turn, yeah. turn us off early. I haven't seen Venom yet. Okay. But I did learn about the post credit stinger. What's the stinger? It's from the jewels, right? No. no. The stinger is going to be the, 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 like the hidden scene. Okay. Spoilers for Venom. Turn it off now. Uh, Eddie Brock's in jail, Venom, uh-huh. uh, to interview somebody. And <laughs> it's a guy that says, when I get out of here, there's going to be some carnage. And he's oh. played by Woody Harrelson. Oh, really? <laughs> so, Are they trying to set up like a Sinister Six type movie? I don't or? know. What I do know is that the movie Carnage. ended up making more, way more money than they thought. And Woody Harrelson definitely, if they make a sequel, is going to play Carnage, which cracks me up. The reason I thought about that is now you see me. Woody Harrelson was in that as well. He was. Also, yeah. they were in uh, Zombieland together. So, oh, yeah. um, Great movie. I got one more thought. What, well, let's go. Okay, yeah. Go I for got it. One more thought. Yeah, we'll take it offline. Totally unrelated. <laughs> Everyone, if you haven't listened to it yet, the new High and Fire album is my album of the year. All right, Mark. (laughs) All right. That was The Social Network, so join us next time when we uh, talk about how to destroy angels. And uh, thank you again for your time, your feedback, and we will see you next time. Thanks again.